This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from AllComic.com, episode 136. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I am Colton. And I'm Lam Ramiyasha, and today we are back on the Simulpub train because we are talking about a bunch of new Simulpubs over on Shonen Jump, Manga Plus, and even Manga Mo, and a couple of cool new one-shots too, including the new Demon Slayer Promise of Rebel one-shots and a new one-shot from Starfruit Books, Sawanabe Zombie. Mm-hmm, yes, and uh, it may- and possibly even one more simulpub that literally came up right after all the simulpubs we already had to talk about. Yeah, I mean, you will hear that even before we get to the rest of the simul discussion. Yeah, uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to it, but um... Uh, I just want to make one quick editor's note, because uh, when we originally announced that uh, Starfruit Books was going to release Sawanabe Zombie, I think I kept calling it Zombie Sawanabe. Uh, so I just wanted to uh, just wanted to apologize for getting the title wrong constantly, because I think I kept tweeting it about it as Zombie Sawanabe. So, uh, well, that's yeah. how A&N referred to it in their report on it i think that was what it was originally titled but then they retitled it so oh is it okay cool it's not actually my fault that i take no responsibility whatsoever i'm just kidding um <laughs> we already have it recorded might as well just uh you know and be transparent about it but uh we still need to talk about some news and actually uh, before we even get to news um so i just wanted to talk about this real quickly um so a uh, listener of the show and user on Twitter at Dogweeb messaged me a few days ago and offered to send me in particular their entire collection of Raijin comics, which, for those who don't know, is a long since discontinued a manga magazine uh, that had a lot of interesting series such as uh, Fist of the Blue Sky, Baki the Grappler, City Hunter, and even Slam Dunk at one time. This was uh, before Viz had gotten a hold of Slam Dunk, which is interesting. But uh, yeah, they they had offered to uh, send me their entire collection of Raijin comics. So uh, I, I just have that entire run now, along with uh, some uh, back issues of uh, of the monthly Viz Shun and Jump, which is pretty cool. And uh, they they had told me they wanted to, uh, you know, they, they were basically looking to like clear out some uh, space on their bookshelf. And they told me in particular they wanted to send it to someone who, you know, cares about manga history. And, you know, I'd say we care about that, you know, as a manga podcast. And so I... I don't know what we're going to do with them right now. Um, I I think it's safe to say we'd love to do something with these in the future. Uh, I'll probably... Uh, read through some of these and I don't know may- maybe we'll have an entire episode about Raijin comics with uh, with somebody who knows about their history at least better than I do so yeah uh, ho- hopefully we could do something with those in the future it's just it's just kind of cool I, ha- I have my own little collection of manga magazines you know uh, Lum and V-Lord have d- don't you guys have the entire like run of Shonen Jump Yep, and Shoujo Beat. Okay, see, see now, now, now I, I have my own collection of manga magazines, or whatever. So you know, not not to brag or anything, but uh, it's it's cool. I I've never really read a lot of the besides Baki and Slam Dunk. I've really never read any of the manga in these magazines. So it'll be really cool to check out in the future. But uh, 
basically, my point was I, I wanted to shout out Dog Weeb on Twitter and say thank you for sending me these magazines and and hopefully we'll get some use out of them in the future. Um, and uh, with, with with my bragging out of the way, uh, we should get on with the news before anything else. So it, it's kind of funny if you, if you're listening to this podcast and you listen to our previous podcast. Uh, you know, we had covered both the New York Times and Bookscan list from the previous months, and now, now we're finally going to catch up. We're finally current with the with the list, uh, with both lists, I should say. And uh, we're going to start off with the New York Times graphic books and manga list for October 2020, and uh, I'd say this one is kind of interesting. Uh, because basically both Demon Slayer and My Hero Academia have two volumes each on this list, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, specifically, we have uh, Demon Slayer Volume 16, ranking at number 12 on the list, uh, as well as Volume 1, ranking at number 9. Uh, volume 16 being its first time on the list, and uh, Volume 1 uh, ranking higher on the list than it did last time. And then as far as My Hero Academia goes, we have Volume 2, ranking at number 8. It's its first time on the list. Uh, with Volume 1 ranking higher on the list than it was last time at uh, number 6 on the list. So I think it's pretty safe to say that for now, My Hero Academia and Demon Slayer have the strongest showings as far as manga go on this list in particular. Uh, if you remember last time, Junji Ito's Venus in the Blind Spot uh, was on the last list at number fifteen, I believe. It was it was it was lower on the list, and so you know that that's not on this list. But uh, again, I'm sure we'll see, we'll probably see Junji Ito again on this list in particular. But again, yeah, it's it's just kind of it's just kind of cool to see uh, more than one volume of each My Hero Academia and Demon Slayer on this list. Uh, for 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 uh, manga further taking over, hopefully the graphic books and manga list. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and so I guess we'll, uh, we'll, we'll move on to the monthly book scan list for September. And, uh, as far as manga goes, again, uh, last list we covered for, uh, July, um, not as much manga on the list as usual, especially, you know, not a ton of My Hero Academia as usual, but in terms of manga, there was a lot on this list. Yeah, up from last time. Um, but starting off, uh, again, uh, My Hero Academia sort sort of dwindling on the list, but again, it still still has the highest number of volumes represented on the list overall. Um, starting at number two on the list, we have Volume One with Volume Two ranking at number three, uh, Volume Twenty Four ranking at number seven, with uh, Volume Three ranking at number thirteen, uh, and finally Volume Four ranking at number nineteen. Five volumes, a fourth of the list. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, again, it's, it's still still a nice chunk of the list. Um, but it will be interesting to see, like, if My Hero Academia will continue the dwindle, or if it'll just kind of stay consistent from here on. Um, I guess we'll have to see. And so, I guess just to continue with the rest of the list, we have volume 10 of Dragon Ball Super at number five on the list. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, getting to Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, uh, we have Volume 16 ranking at number 6 on the list, uh, with Volume 1 ranking at number 8, as well as Volume 2 ranking at number 20. So that's three volumes of Demon Slayer ranking on this list. That's one more volume than last time. So I think my predictions are coming true, and Demon Slayer is uh, slowly catching up to My Hero Academia. 
It seems like. Uh, let's see here. And then at number 11, speaking of, uh, I mentioned this earlier, uh, Junji Ito's Venus in the Blind Spot ranking at number 11. Um, again, Junji Ito's, as we discussed last time, uh, as far as the book scan goes, the second highest selling manga franchise in the U.S. right now, which is still really unbelievable. Um, and uh, I didn't notice this until after we recorded the last episode. Uzumaki wasn't on the list last time. I just noticed that. So it's interesting how Uzumaki just seemed to be on the list for most of the year. And now it's uh, kind of suddenly gone. I'm uh, Sales for that are probably finally dwindling as uh, as as Venus in the Blind Spot, you know, that that's basically uh, Ito's newest work to come out in the U.S., so that's getting love for now. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Uzumaki rebound. That's like a perennial seller. But Venus is like the new hotness from Ito, so it makes sense why Ito fans are picking that up more than Uzumaki. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm sure we'll see Uzumaki on the list uh again in the future, uh especially again when we get closer to the Uzumaki anime on Toonami. Um all right, continuing with the list, we have Volume 2 of Spy Family from Tatsuya Endo at number 12 overall on the list. Um I'm very happy to see Spy Family rank on this list. Uh I'm hoping that uh every time there's a new volume that comes out, we'll hopefully see it debut on the list. Spy Family, again, is kind of interesting because there's no anime for this yet. So this is this is clearly, like, on the strength of, like, probably word of mouth alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is really cool. Uh, Spy Family definitely deserves it. Um, and so I guess the last really interesting thing, kind of grouping these together here, a lot of uh, other volume ones on this list. Uh, some of these really interesting. So just to go through these... Uh, we have The Promise Neverland, Volume 1, ranking at number 14, and I don't know if you agree, Lum, but uh, I'm going to say this is because The Promise Neverland, right now, Season 1 of the anime, is on Netflix, so we probably have people coming from Netflix to check out the manga. That's probably why it's uh, on the list here. It's a possibility, for sure. It's just, it's just kind of interesting to see Volume 1 on the list after uh, after so long as well as Tokyo Ghoul Volume 1, ranking at number 15. You know, Tokyo Ghoul obviously is still a pretty big franchise that, you know, only just ended here in the U.S. a few months ago, I think. Um, so, you know, not too surprising that it's still probably, uh, it's still a fresh franchise, I think. But uh, again, this is this is probably because, you know, you know the, the series just ended its release here, so there are probably a lot of people picking up on that and being like, huh, that thing's over. Should probably check this out, you know? Again, that that that's my theory. But uh, anyway, uh, moving on to the last surprising thing about this list is uh, Toilet Bound Hanako-kun, Volume 1, ranking at number 17. Now, I'm, I'm not very familiar with the series. I'm only vaguely familiar with it because I know it it has an anime. Lum, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this particular series. Yeah, I enjoy the series a lot. I reviewed the first volume and I've read a couple other ones. It's a really great series. And I think it's very interesting that we have Toilet Bound on this list, as well as Neverland and Tokyo Ghoul. I think it's, it's the season for horror manga, and so we're seeing <laughs> some big shonen horror action titles that are, were already popular start to get some sa bigger sales here in the October Halloween season, as people want something spooky and seasonal Ooh. to read. 
Yeah, I honestly, I didn't really think about it from that angle, but uh, that totally makes sense. Um, I I need to check out uh, Hanako-kun. I, I, I haven't read any of it yet, but I, I hear good things. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, but that's really about it for the list. Um, compared to September's list uh, we covered last episode, um, this this is jam-packed with manga. Yeah, I mean, technically, we only have four more books, but it's a difference between a 50-50 with other comics and now having a 70-30 majority again. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing some spike sales, and we're seeing some interesting new titles. Again, it is very interesting that we got some volume ones of stuff that we don't see pop in as commonly like neverland ghoul and hanako and it's always nice to see some newer titles pick up steam and do very well in the charts like spy family so it's some good stuff and again as far as giving my hero academia competition demon slayer looks like it's possibly gonna do that yeah i i wonder how long it's going to take if it happens at all before basically my hero academia and demon slayer both take up like equal shares of the book scale list like they both take up like four places each well it's bound to happen sooner than later considering there's only seven volumes of demon slayer left so if it's gonna happen it's gonna happen the next couple of months Mm -hmm. i i think that's gonna happen at least once i don't think it'll be like a consistent thing but um Again, it seems to be the only thing to give My Hero Academia any competition as far as, like, how many spots they both take up on the list, but, uh... I could imagine another spike when the Infinity Train movie comes out over here. We just... the Half the, half the list is Demon Slayer. Perhaps. Perhaps that will happen. We'll have another explosion thanks to the anime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that'll probably happen at least once next year, probably. But, uh, yeah, um, a, a lot to chew on for this list. Uh, again, pretty much all dominated by Viz. Literally no other pop. Well, actually, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Hanoko-kun is Yen Press, I think, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. So it's also nice to see a title not from Viz also chart, uh, which is kind of rare, sadly, these days. But good to see it when it happens mm-hmm. that, that, that's just kind of a rule at this point right like one other publisher has to represent themselves other than this at least if it isn't dark horse with berserk it's got to be something else if it isn't dark horse with berserk or kadansha with attack on titan i think black butler's been on this list once hasn't it perhaps yeah so now yen has two things that potentially can circle in black butler and totally late bound Hanakukun. i mean as as we know like black butler is basically yen press's biggest title and uh i mean i'm assuming Hanakukun is doing pretty well for them again considering it's making a showing on this list so all right but uh with both those lists out of the way um we don't have a lot but we do have at least like two pieces of serialization news we need to cover but we we, we might we might have a bit to talk about with both of these love if you want to take those away sure both of these are manga plus related as one series has ended a new one has began first the series that has ended is dear sachan the very controversial story about a dude cheating on his girlfriend with a married woman has finally come to its ill-fated unfortunate end <laughs> i suppose what did uh, um what, what what did what did maxi call this uh, baby's first ntr <laughs> Yeah, I guess. I mean, it really is, isn't it? I mean, 
Of course, this series was all about people making very bad decisions, and wouldn't you know it, it ends with someone making a very bad decision. Our main protagonist, even as a 40-year-old man, has not learned and now finds himself an illicit relationship with a teenage girl. Oh, no. And wouldn't you know it, that girl happens to be the daughter of the married woman he cheated with. No, what? <laughs> Oh my gosh, and to make things better, in the literally the previous chapter before the final chapter, there was a joke where the dad of the little girl and the husband of the person he cheated with, he's like saying, hey, don't you make you move on my daughter. And this is when the daughter was like two years old, <laughs> and he was 24, and it's like, uh, and in that scene, he was like, oh, yes, like, age gap. And so it's like... Oh, but no, actually, uh, it's happened. They actually did end up getting into a relationship <laughs> 20, oh, like man. 16 years later or whatever. So it's very, very trashy. My gosh. And it uh, tries to pass. I mean, then the manga ends with like, oh, well, not every story will have a happy ending. But then he goes along with the date anyway. And it's like, geez. Wow. That's uh, that's a lot. That's a way to end it. That's a lot to wow. take in. I, I want to say I, I'd, I'd have to check my uh, my any list, but uh, I know I dropped this series at one point just because, like, I, I think I this was one of those things like I started and uh, I didn't get back to for a few weeks, so I, I tried to catch up, but like I just realized it, this just wasn't for me. Like I just kind of found it boring. I don't even remember where I left off. I I think I I think I left off around the point where like some other girl like shows up at one point, and I think that's where I lost interest. But yeah, I don't know. It, I I I don't know. I almost feel like it was my loss because wow, that ending is so trash. I'm I have an affinity for really trashy things. All right, like I'm I'm very much in the train wrecks of all kinds. So. Man, I, I feel I feel like I missed out <laughs> a little bit, but uh, yeah. So I I guess if anyone is still interested in checking out Dear Sachan, <laughs> oh, uh, you know it's it's all available on Manga Plus. Uh, how long did it end up being? Like thirty five chapters. Yeah. So it, it's all on there. Uh, read it before they take it off. Eventually, I guess if you care. I don't know. Uh, that's up to you. But yeah, you, you also mentioned a new series started uh, and. Uh, we we should probably talk about this one for a little bit. Yeah, Akira Amano is returning to Jump Plus with a new series, a detective manga this time, Ron Kamono Hashi, the Range Detective. Interestingly, it was very strange. We didn't know if the series was happening or not, because at first, like, they reported, oh, Akira Amano has this new series coming out on the tent. And then they rescinded that, uh, announcement, and then they said, "Oh, look forward to an announcement from Akira Amano on the tent." And then the tent came and was like, "Hey, Akira Amano has a new manga for Jump Plus," and it's like, "We already knew this. Why did you <laughs> rescind the rescind the news, or only to reannounce it again on the day of the manga coming out? What was the point of that?" So it was a very confusing PR press release decision but regardless manga plus also is running the series i wonder if Liz will also pick this up on a delay for manga plus kind of like kaiju number eight 
eventually it debuted on Manga Plus and then Viz also started doing it. So we might see that too because Viz also did Live. I really have to wonder how well Amano's stuff in particular does for Viz because, I mean, unfortunately, as some people may know or may not know, you know, at one at one point they were running Reborn, Viz was anyway, but they dropped that like 16 volumes in, I think, and then uh, they managed to do like all of Eldalive. Uh, they managed to cyberpub that till its end, but like, I also really wonder like how well that series did for them, and so I don't know. I I guess we'll have to see. I think L Live only got like digital volumes too from this, but regardless, I mean, if they think it has potential, I'm sure they'll pick it up. And you know, as I enjoyed L Live, uh, so I was curious and interested in a new series from Amano. And so because this was kind of a last-minute breaking news kind of thing, we're going to do our review of this series here ahead of the other Manga Plus stuff we're going to talk about. But basically, this is a detective manga. It stars a character called Ronka Monohashi, who's a prodigy detective. In his school days, everyone was saying, oh, he's such a genius. He could go on to solve all the crimes in the world once he graduates. And he seemed to be brimming with confidence. But then flash forward a few years later, out of school into adulthood, he has kind of hit rock bottom. He sequestered himself away in his room. We're drawing from the detective game due to tragedy and just completely locking himself away. But a new case is brewing and one of the guys assigned to it, Totemar Ishki, is kind of looking for answers, looking for help. And so his superior kind of points him to Ron's way. And Ron, of course, is very reluctant to take on the case he refuses absolutely he won't even listen to Tocho tell him about the case he plugs his ears he and he like drowns them out whenever he tries to talk eventually it's revealed that he's doing this and he's sequestered himself and isolated himself because he has the uncontrollable urge to want to solve a case when he hears about it so he has kept himself isolated so he can resist that urge and not act on that impulse but eventually Ron manages to convince him that it will be okay for him to come along and help solve the case, that he needs his help, and that whatever his fatal flaws detective he says he has is, he will look out for him and support him. And so they do end up going to solve the case. And basically the case was there has been a string of six murders over the last nine months where a bunch of rich uh, business types with longish hair had been seemingly drowned, but their bodies were found in places without water. So everyone's like, how did this happen? How there's no sign of resistance, no sign they were drugged. Like, how were they killed? And Ron basically figures out that basically just from the description of all the victims, the perimeter of where they were found and the commonalities between them, that the murderer was a barber and that he basically drowned his victims with oxygen-deficient water in his sink. And so they exposed the crime, but in trying to arrest the victim, Ron nearly makes the victim commit suicide because it seems he has somewhat of a cruel double personality and mind control powers so when he tells the criminal to jump the criminal does indeed jump but of course toto 
manages to hold on to the guy before he falls. And then Ron also, like, manages to use, like, some strings or whatever, ropes to kind of prevent them from falling, too. So they they manage to bring the guy in without him killing himself. And so now Ron is teaming up with Toto because he now trusts Toto to keep in check and prevent, like, this habit of his of, like, getting the people he busts to commit suicide in check. And he's going to solve crimes, but he's going to do it in Toto's name. And so the the idea is they're going to partner up and solve the crimes, but it's going to be Toto who's going to earn the reputation of being like a famous detective and take credit for the cases. So that's pretty much the premise and setup. And uh, of course, as a lot of manga plus chapters are, it's a pretty uh, long first chapter to establish uh, the characters and stuff. I think the dynamic between them could be very interesting. And I am curious about like, why does Ron have this power? What is the specific tragedy in his life that forced him to like completely isolate himself from the world there seems to be some connection between kiku the superior at the police department that sent toto ron's way and there's and like his son was a classmate of ron so perhaps there is a story there to explore and overall i think that there could be like an interesting um mystery action premise in this mm-hmm. yeah i uh i i definitely thought this was interesting too uh i don't i don't know if it matters but uh i i'm somebody who really hasn't read a lot of amano's works like other than this i've uh i've i've read her one shot uh the the ice hockey one i think we talked about a few oh, years yeah, back we did uh and uh yeah other than that this is kind of the only thing i've read of hers i still need to get on to reborn or eld alive i want to read reborn especially but uh yeah i I thought this was interesting i uh at at first when i was reading this and i saw that uh you know ron went from this uh you know talented high school detective or whatever to a disheveled adult i was like man this guy really peaked in high school huh um This it, it, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like if Shinichi Kudo went from being the world's uh, number one high school detective and he just became a a schlubby adult uh, in he his mid twenties. Just ended up like Kogoro. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was it was a little more interesting than I thought it was going to be, and uh, the 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 like dynamic and relationship that like Ishiki and uh, Ron are possibly going to have are. Um, it kind of reminds me of uh, if I can make a timely reference uh, to The Boys season two on on Amazon. Good show, by the way. Uh, it really reminded me of like the relationship that like Huey and Butcher have in that show, where it's like you know, but Butcher's the one who you know who's a little more relentless, uh, to put it mildly, and then you have Huey who kind of like reigns him back and is kind of his moral compass. Uh, so I wonder if like maybe that's the kind of dynamic we're gonna see here. Because I also could have sworn that, like, there was mention at one point, or at least, like, uh, Ishiki says, like, oh, well, because, uh, I don't know, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought there was some mention at one point that, like, Ron stopped taking on cases because he, uh, because his arrest rate was zero, because he... Yeah, because all of the people he bust, he made them commit suicide with this unconscious mind control power he has. Mm-hmm. So, 
I don't know if the, I maybe there is like one incident or something that may have may have maybe sent him over the edge in particular, but I don't know. Yeah, I think it probably had might have do with like a friend or of his or something, you know, probably something very personal. Yeah, he just I don't know. It, it's it's just I um and maybe this maybe this is like the point and maybe it's what Amano's going for, but like I don't feel like I have a very like clear read on him as a person like he definitely seems to have like uh he definitely seems to have i guess like you said kind of a double personality almost it's kind of interesting Mm -hmm. um but yeah outside of that like if uh i i I thought the case was pretty good too like i i don't know about you but i i had a really hard time kind of figuring it out like i never would have i don't think i ever would have thought like oh yeah it was the barber like i i I thought that was actually kind of clever yeah, I I think the solution was very clever. I mean, I think, you know, you weren't even thinking of a barber as a possibility, but it makes sense when they reveal that to be the case. So this kind of storytelling for mystery where it's like, oh, like it is a very specific thing that you might not be thinking of, but it makes totally sense when they reveal the solution. I think it worked very well. Mm-hmm. It's, like, kind of different from when you already have, like, suspects on hand to kind of think about, is it this person or is it this person? This one is, like, oh, think about, like, who could be a possibility just generally. What kind of person could get away with this? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, overall, I uh, I didn't have a lot of expectations for this, but uh, I, I think I might keep up with this one. yeah. I'm curious to see where it goes, and I think it'll probably really pick up later down the line, because with Eld Live, I felt it took a little while before me to really get into it, but once it really, like, started going really strong with, like, the Heaven Siders showing up and stuff in that series, then I was like, then it became really, really uh, compelling to read, so I think this might develop similarly, but we will see. Mm-hmm, but, uh... Yeah, it looks like this is going to update every Saturday. It looks like. Looks like. Looks like it'll be weekly. So yeah, that uh, I'll, I'll hopefully try to keep up with this one uh, for now at least. Um, so again, for anybody who wants to read it, it's on Manga Plus. So there you go. But uh, that really about does it for serialization news for now. Again, we 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 covered we covered most of our serialization stuff uh, last time, I think. So. Uh, yeah, I think we might as well just move on to licenses, and uh, I guess we're, we're still sticking with our new format of uh, picking out particular licenses to talk about, uh, but before we kind of get onto both of our individual lists, uh, it is worth mentioning that uh, Viz is uh, still continuing to give uh, shorter-lived Jump Series uh, digital volume runs, because uh, they're basically going to release all three volumes of Tokyo Shinobi Squad digitally on October 27th, uh, basically wherever digital comics are sold, uh, which, uh, I, again, I, I wasn't super into Tokyo Shinobi Squad when it originally ran, but uh, again, like, I wouldn't mind picking these up for when we eventually get to this on our uh, on our Jump Stop podcast or whatnot, so. Um, and also, like, I'm I'm sure now that uh, because uh, one of the new series we're talking about is also uh, drawn by uh, Kento Matsuda. You know, I'm, I'm sure it'll do do some good for uh, for Viz to put out, uh, 
you know, a series they uh, they had drawn previously. So, you know, uh, I mean, uh, regardless of how we feel about Tokyo Shinobi Squad, like, I also feel like it probably had an audience that still liked it. So, you know, it, it makes sense to me. When we'll do the retrospective on it, we'll definitely bring on someone who was a big fan of the series to get their perspective for sure. Or at least someone who was more positive than either of us were when it first started. Mm-hmm. And again, whenever any other like uh, short-lived Viz series pops up for uh, for sale, we'll, we'll let you guys know. But uh, yeah, now I guess we'll get into uh, get into our list of licenses that we want to talk about. And uh, I think I went first last time. If you uh, if you want to go ahead and talk about yours first, sure thing. I think. Yen Press is our main area of crossover where both of us had things from them that we wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. So I'll start with Mayan stuff first. Uh, first off is, do you like the Nerdy Nurse by Arata Kawabata? This and the next couple ones that I'm going to talk about is going to come out in February 2021. And this is about a very beautiful nurse who is actually a secret nerd, but they don't really hide they nerd them very well. And, you know, they're a newly appointed school nurse. They love everything geeky. It's just a romantic comedy with a lot of otaku references. So it's a single volume story. And it seems to just be like a fun, geeky romance. Maybe not even a romance. Just, or just like a slice of light comedy with this otaku nurse. Which could be very cute. Uh, the next title is Love and Heart by Chitose Kaido. And this is a shoujo horror comic, which is really interesting and cool to get some more of those. And it's about a university freshman who is super busy and gets a male roommate, surprisingly. But this person, not only is their new roommate, but they claim to be their childhood friend. But the protagonist on the Yagisawa, they, she doesn't remember him at all. And when he comes into her life, like a lot of disturbing things begin to happen. And she might be over her head trying to figure this whole situation out. So this seems like a good psychological uh, horror story, too, playing upon like uncertain memory and distrustful uh, person. And next up is Virgin Road. This comes, this is a novel and this comes from us. Uh, the story is by Matosato and the art is by Nilitsu. The premise of this one is that there are people called the lost ones who are wanderers who come from a distant world known as Japan. Uh, no one knows who they are or why they leave their homes, but the only thing that is certain is that they bring disaster and calamities, so there are executioners sent to take them out. One of them, our protagonist, is called Menno. She meets a girl called Akari, and she finds it impossible to kill her. And so Menno decides to look for a way to defeat her immortality, and Akari tags along. And so it's a trinity that will change her life forever, and... This is not only another interesting spin on the Isekai story in which, like, the protagonist is not the person coming in from another world, but a person already in the world meeting someone coming in from another world. But it's also a Yuri story as well. So, very interesting uh, take on the formula and the setting of Isekai stories. So that's definitely a curious one to look out for. 
Next up, I also want to spotlight, I was a bottom tier bureaucrat for... 1500 years and the Demon King made me a minister. This is actually a spin-off of I've Been Killing Slimes for 300 Years and Maxed Out My Level, which I haven't quite read, but I did find the premise of the series interesting, because it's about the character Beast of Blitzmiss Avengers in her early days as the Demon Minister of Agriculture, after he was promoted from an entry-level office worker right to the top. So the idea of, like, a bureaucratic story featuring demons like in the agricultural sector like that seems very very interesting to me so i definitely might check this out uh, after checking out the original i've been killing slime series and then my final again press title i want to spotlight is when a magician's pupil smiles now this is actually a title that was released by again digitally in 2015 but they're releasing in a print in 2021 and this is about a magician's pupil named uka name who is incapable of feeling emotion or at the very least he's almost incapable because there is one particular in circumstance when his feelings uh, begin to rise to the surface but the scenario that unleashes them is really, really dark, uh, too dark to even contemplate. So I'm curious of what that circumstance is and a story about a character struggling with their emotions, expressing themselves, and then kind of learning to come to terms with that and, and become expressive. But yeah, that does sound very, very interesting. And this seems to be a single volume story, too. So definitely intrigued about it. Next, I've got a title from Seven Seas that I'm curious about. This is a title that is coming out both as a light novel and as manga from Seven Seas. The novel series launches from Seven Seas in October 21. The manga comes the following month in November 2021. But this is A Tale of the Secret Saint. Uh, the light novel series is by Toya and drawn by Chibi. And the manga uses the character designs of Chibi, but it's drawn by Mahito Aobe. And this story is about a girl who was born into a family of knights that was dreamed to being a knight, but is not very talented. But even so, she trains with everything she has. And when the day comes for her to slay a small demon and prove her work, she ends up face to face with a dragon instead and gets a deadly injury that makes her life flash before her eyes. And in doing so, she remembers her former life when she was actually a powerful saint in a bygone era who defeated the demon king. And her previous life ended in pain because of who she was, and she was afraid of ever becoming a saint again. But with these memories returned to her, now she may become a more powerful knight than she ever dreamed of, you know, so long as she can survive. So this seems like an interesting take on a reincarnation story about someone wanting to kind of make strides in their new life, like they are going in a different path it seems from saint to a knight in their reincarnated life but will they end up becoming like a great knight as they hope we will see it's definitely an interesting premise but lastly i have two titles from kadanchi usa that i want to spotlight and these are both digital titles and the first one of these is actually already out by the time you are listening to this podcast. It's Practice Makes Perfect when we hunt a Mia. It is a love story between two late 20-something athletes. 
One is the Japanese national representative for volleyball, Nohara Suzuki. The other is the representative for judo, Takanayayo. And they're both facing the same problem because they both got dumped because they were too inexperienced in the world of physical relationships. So these two overachieving athletes decide to practice. Of course, practice makes perfect. And as athletes, they are no stranger to that. And so as Nohara and Takaya practice more and more, they may just find the ones they're practicing for are each other. So I think that's a really intriguing, uh, cool premise between, like, again, professional athletes, like, from two different uh, fields as well, like, falling in love by trying to kind of learn more about love. So, yeah, I think that's a really, really fun premise. And uh, my last title that I want to spotlight is Utterworldly Munchkin. Let's speedrun the dungeon with only one HP. This is by Yu Shimizu and Makoto Algiri, and this comes out on November 3rd digitally. And this is about a pair of uh, siblings, Yukito and Sana. The older brother, Yukito, treasures his younger sister more than anyone else, but an ogre shows up outside his window looking for her, and he leaps to save her and ends up being killed. But he's offered the promise of reincarnation by a mysterious woman who gives him a character sheet in a mysterious book, and he sees that his sister's in there too, so he sets off to find her and save them both but he only has one HP to do it so again the idea of like he has to basically do a boss rush in this dungeon but only one HP how will he survive it's a good hook it's an interesting premise and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what it's all about yeah uh, I guess out of all of those um, practice makes perfect actually sounds uh, sounds like something I check out it sounds it sounds really cute and it's uh it's uh it's an interesting uh dynamic for a relationship there as you mentioned. Mhm. And how about your titles? You've got a few as well from Yen as uh, to start with. Yeah, uh as far as my list goes, uh, Yen Press and Starfruit Books really just kind of took over, but uh I feel like out of all the licenses that have come out kind of since the last time we did this, I mean, uh Yen Press I think just had the most titles that kind of interested me in particular. Uh, the first one I want to mention uh, again, but basically all the uh, all the titles we talked about from Yen Press are coming out around uh, February 2021, as you mentioned. And uh, the first one I wanted to mention was uh, Days on Fest by Kanato Oka. It, it's a very simple premise. It seems it, it it looks like it's just about these two students who go to the same high school. Uh, one of them takes their classmate to their first rock festival, and it's. As the summary says, uh, an experience that is greater than anything they can even imagine. Um, so I don't know if maybe uh, this classmate probably wasn't into rock and roll already. They probably are now after this really rocking concert. And uh, as as someone who likes a lot of classic rock and rock and roll in general, uh, this um, this one kind of spoke to me. Uh, again, it's a simple premise, but like. Uh, it sounds like a really fun, like, little music manga that maybe I could get into. Uh, more than anything, I'm kind of interested in, like, uh, specifically what kind of rock music they'll uh, uh, they'll go and see. But, uh, again, I just thought it sounded cute. And then next up, I also wanted to talk about The Girl Without a Face by Tiran Taran. And as the uh, synopsis reads, her boyfriend thinks she's the cutest girl around, but her but her expressions can be a bit hard to read. The Girl Without a Face is a cute yet eccentric manga 
uh, about a boy and his faceless girlfriend. With horror elements such as the presence of yokai and a slice-of-life storyline, The Girl Without a Face appeals to fans of both categories of manga. Uh, and if, if I understand correctly, this guy's girlfriend is supposed to be like a particular kind of yokai, uh, which, is, which is interesting. So, again, t t taking a very... Uh, What's supposed to be, I'm sure, a very uh, frightening, scary creature, and making them uh, uh, making a slice of life bonga revolved around them, I think, is just it's just my kind of jam, honestly. Um, so I'll definitely be checking that out. Uh, and then I also wanted to talk about "I Can't Reach You" by Mika, and uh, this one's actually uh, basically a slice of life uh, BL sort of story basically between two uh two high school students who are friends uh one one who is more exceptional at like you know getting good grades and other stuff and the other one is kind of average and uh the one who's uh basically less than average you know uh basically feels like he he can't live up to the other's expectations it's uh it 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 sounds like a a cute enough dynamic that uh I definitely want to read about personally and then afterwards, I have uh, Play It Cool, Guys, by uh, Kokune Nata. And uh, I just just want to read the synopsis for this one. Uh, Enter a bunch of cool guys who look like they got that unapproachable swag. But let's be real, that's not the true them. Uh, they're just a bunch of dorks who've got the act down pat. So sit back, grab some popcorn, and enjoy watching a bunch of goofy guys try to look cool all day every day. Uh, Play It Cool Guys is a fun collection of stories featuring guys that are equal parts cool and equal parts adorably awkward. Um, and so, just to talk about myself a little bit, uh, I am a huge fan of uh, of Daily Lives of High School Boys. It's probably one of my favorite shows, uh, which I think the first volume of that just came out recently. And boy, I really, I really want to read the manga for that so bad. Um, this, this definitely kind of sounds like the same sort of thing, almost like I'm, I'm all about just, you know, high, high school guys, just, just being dorks. And, uh, I think that's a, that, that, that's a, it's a simple premise, but it, it's enough to hook me in. So if it's, if it's anything like daily lives of high school boys, uh, hopefully I will definitely be checking this out. It just sounds fun. I like, I like high school kids being dorks. It's cute and fun. That's, I'm a, I'm a simple <laughs> man. Uh, next up, this one, this this one might be the most interesting, I think, out of all again press licenses, entitled "Penguin Gentleman" by Kishi Ueno. Uh, I gotta read the one for this one too. Uh, in a certain secret bar, the quote unquote penguin gentlemen work, wearing their long tailed tuxedos. You say it's cute how penguins waddle around. <laughs> we're not just cute; we're dandy, sexy, and marvelous. <laughs> So this already sounds like it'll be amazing. I uh I'm sure you agree, love. Yeah. Uh this also sounds like the kind of thing that is just right for an anime and is probably going to become really popular. Yeah, handsome anthrop handsome uh, humanized penguin voice. Yeah. I think that would has a lot of appeal. I mean, look, do, like do do you really need anything else? Like I don't I like if this doesn't convince you to check this out, I don't know what will. I mean, in general, men in suits, you can't go wrong. No, you really can't. Uh, anyone looks good in a suit, let's be honest. Uh, but that's about it for, like, all the Yen Press stuff I have on my list. And, uh, again, I, I I think Yen Press, out of out of all of uh, 
a usual licensors, I think, has just come out with the most interesting uh, line of licenses. But just that's just my opinion. Um, other than Starfruit Books, which, if our thoughts on uh, uh, Sawanabe Zombie later are any indication, like I think, uh, I think I'm definitely going to be following Starfruit Books uh, just in general because. Uh, just to give some context, uh, Starfruit Books, uh, Glacier Bay Books, and Iridori uh, kind of all came together and had their own, like, little, like, uh, I guess, online panel, you know, uh, b- basically under the uh, under the pretense of, like, you know, we're a bunch of small manga publishers, and we want to get together and announce some stuff. And I thought that was pretty cool. And so, again, out of the three of them, I was the most interested in Starfruit Books, and uh, just to talk about their stuff... Uh, one of the things they announced at their panel was a collection of stories titled Valisa, The Wise Princess and Other Classic Folk Tales from Kurai Bay Keshi. It's 247 pages in length, so definitely a whole volume's worth of uh, stuff right there. It's coming uh, summer 2021, and uh, it looks like a sort of... a uh, Okay, yeah. Uh, follow Valicia uh, through a tale of epic adventure full of friendships, tears, and laughter set in and fantasy world full of Siberian, Scandinavian, and other Eastern European folklore. So, like, I think the art for this one definitely kind of captured my eye. It's definitely not a style I see in manga usually. And I I don't know, I, I just found the, the aesthetic influence for this one really interesting and... Uh, I, I think the thing that I also like about Starfruit books is that they they pick up a lot of shorter stuff, and I don't know if it's just my d- dwindling attention span nowadays, but like sh- shorter manga, I I feel like just has has a a certain appeal. Uh, I don't know about you, Lum. Yeah, I would agree. But uh, speaking of shorter stuff, uh, one of the other things they licensed at this event was a one shot, a thirty six pace one shot, uh, coming in November of this year from Miyako Yoko entitled Look Into My Eyes and uh this so this one's interesting it looks like it's good. the one shot is going to f- focus on a on an idol group basically after they disband and have their like final concert and everything and uh basically just like what their life is afterwards like what do they pursue afterwards and uh I don't know if I've, like, seen an idol story take that approach before. Like, I'm sure maybe it's been done before, possibly, and I just don't know it. But, like, it's not something, like, I see very often, personally. So, again, I thought it was an interesting premise for a one-shot. Uh, maybe, hopefully, just like with uh, Sawanabe Zombie, maybe we can, like, talk about this on the show when it's out. Because, like, I definitely want to read this. And then, as I found out after we recorded our Simulpub discussion... Uh, this was announced, um, I don't think at this event, but it was announced uh, recently, I think. They seem to have also licensed another one-shot from Kakyo Sudakawa, the same author of Sawanabe Zombie, uh, is a two-part story called Ikyodo. Yeah, so uh, this will be released in a single volume, early 2021, and uh, as the description reads, uh, at the end of the Edo period, a young farmer who lives a meager yet peaceful life uh, suddenly loses someone very dear to him, and he vows to get revenge, but where will this journey lead him? Uh, prepare for a wild adventure that fuses the Edo period and sci-fi genre. So, I again, something else that most people may not know about me is uh, 
you know, I am a huge fan of stuff like Gintama, and because of that, I'm also very interested in like Edo period pieces. So, you know, I, I mean, Gintama also is kind of a mishmash of uh, Edo period piece and sci-fi. So, like, you know, this is so basically this is up my alley. And again, uh, spoiler alert, uh, I enjoyed Samanabe Zombie enough to say that I'm looking forward to more of Kakyo Surikawa's works. And uh, I definitely am going to be reading this as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, it like just... Uh, just looking through some of the sample pages they've posted on on like their Twitter account, um, it definitely looks really cool. And again, I'm I'm just I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but that's that's kind of my list of licenses. And uh, overall, I don't know. Like uh, I I think we both picked some really good ones that uh, again I'm I'm really looking forward to. Um, I will say I again just in the um, just to be a little transparent, I. I guess one thing I do want to mention is uh, a lot of other licenses came out, but I I don't know. I have to be honest, a lot of, like, isekai stuff came out, and I don't know. Isekai, just as a genre, really just doesn't do it for me. So I, you know, uh, w- w- one one thing I do kind of regret with this format a little bit is that we we do want to, like, shorten our, uh, shorten our uh, usual time it takes for us to talk about licenses on the show, and I think that's a good decision. But, uh, you know, it, it does make me feel bad that, like, we can't talk about everything because then it, it makes me feel like, you know, oh, well, you know, we just uh, the, 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 there are just certain, like, uh, I guess, genres or whatever that I'm, I'm just not super into. And maybe I can be better about, uh, you know, p- picking certain like getting outside of my comfort zone and like picking certain things that like. Maybe I wouldn't normally be be into, but like maybe other people might want to hear about. I don't know. We're we're still kind of working on this format a little bit. Um, I don't know. How, how, how do you feel about that one? I think light novels in particular is definitely an area where you may see us uh, fall back and not covering as much, just because I don't think either of us are as engaged with light novels as we are with other manga. So I mean, I think. We may bring in perhaps correspondents like V Lord or Marion, who are really into the light novel scene. To uh, if they have any thoughts on upcoming titles that are worth spotlighting, but regardless, I think that we will continue to do our best to spotlight things that interest us for a variety of different publishers. So we'll continue to like to spotlight things that we think are like some of the most interesting things to keep an eye on. It is a shame that, you know, some stuff might fall through the cracks uh, here and there, but we are going to do our best to make sure that we continue to provide a variety of coverage for different publishers and of different types of titles. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're kind of changing our format because again, like certain times of the year it's it's just exhausting to literally cover everything like and i I think i I don't know about you but me myself i'm kind of burnt out on that honestly um Mm -hmm. but again we're we're gonna try to find some kind of balance where we still want to talk about stuff that like interests us but we'll still try to cover you know whatever we can you know we're we're not going to stop talking about licenses anytime soon that's for sure but well it's all about trying to find a balance and we you know i i personally want to be as upfront about that as i can be so you know we're we're trying and that's all that matters 
But yeah, I, I think we covered at least a good variety of different licenses. So, uh, you know, if, if there's if there's anything in there that uh, that sounds interesting to you, be sure to be sure to keep an eye out. But okay, I think that's about it for licenses. And Lum, I think we have two more pieces of news that we want to talk about before moving on with the rest of the show. If you want to take those away, some small stray news that I just wanted to highlight first. I just recently had theaters reopen in the United States in the past month, but it looks like a lot of them are closing again because Regal and Cineworld have closed again. AMC and Cinemark will remain open for now. However, AMC in particular is not doing very well. Uh, basically, they may be in danger of going bankrupt in a couple months. They're not getting a lot of additional funding coming in, so they might not remain open for much longer either. The reason I think this is just relevant is because there are anime screenings happening in theaters again. Namely, there is, uh, I mean, by the time you're seeing this, the Lupin one will have already happened, but there's the Fate screenings that are supposed to come out in November for the last of the Heaven's Feel films, and I know a lot of people had mixed feelings on that, or some were like very unhappy that they were going to go through with those. I mean, potentially if AMC and other theaters close, those might not even happen. But it's uh, definitely a developing situation we'll have to see. But yeah, uh, I guess we will just have to wait and see. Will the American theater industry just completely die out? Or will they be able to survive through the pandemic? But definitely a business that is really, really suffering uh, from the pandemic financially. So... Uh, we'll have to see just how the state of the movie industry will be in general once this is all over. Meanwhile, uh, just one last fun thing I want to shout out is that I think previously on this podcast, I shouted out the Adult Swim Summer Showdown, which happened in the summer where it was a Adult Swim a stream slash podcast that was like uh, going through all the Adult Swim originals at a bracket competition that people could vote on on Instagram every week. And the winner of the Summer Showdown, like the person who made the bracket that called the winner, they got to run a marathon of the winning show of win episodes of their choice. So the winner of the Adult Swim Summer Showdown was uh, Keon World, who runs the CN Schedules Twitter account, actually. Oh, wow. And yeah, and so they correctly predicted Rick and Morty will win. And so they got to have a Rick and Morty marathon of episodes of their choice air. And the second place winner who uh, went for Aqua Teen said they also got to have their own marathon of their favorite Aqua Teen episodes. So similarly, Adult Swim is doing something for Tanami, uh, where they're having a bracket competition uh, as streams slash podcasts potentially uh, that are going to be happening. Uh, they've already started by the time you're listening to this. I think they're going to be every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and so there, I think, are going to be like 32 shows competing total based on the preview. By the time that you're listening to this, the first episode of it, uh, where they choose what's going to go in the bracket and what's competing will be out. So uh, you'll probably already have a chance to vote on it. But yeah, I think this is a cool thing. So if you potentially the winner of this will also get like the same thing as the winner of the Summer Showdown got. Like if your bracket predicts like what the winning show will be and you get like the most things correct on how like the bracket plays out, like you will get to have your own marathon of that winning show or at least you know, potentially, if they have shows in this that Adult Swim can't air, 
uh, readily, you'll be able to like just program your own Tanami lineup. So that's like a fun thing that uh, I like that Adult Swim does time to time. They have like these interactive competitions that give the fans chances to like make their own lineups and whatnot. So this is a fun way to do it again with these like streams of bracket tournaments. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how this one goes. I'm going to hope I'm going to compete in this one myself. Uh, we will see who and what will win. Mm-hmm. That that's really interesting. I I didn't know that like they got their own marathons. Uh, did um so have those marathons already aired at this point or? Yeah, those marathons happened uh immediately after the the bracket competition finished. Oh, so okay, it was like okay. it literally I think the day after or two days after the marathon aired after like the winner was called on air on the last uh, stream for mm. the bracket competition. Ah, okay. Um, no, that, that sounds really cool. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in seeing who will win the Tanami bracket. Yeah. I'm interested in what shows are going to compete because I don't think Adult Swim has the right to 32 different anime right now based on like what shows still pop up in their shows page. So presumably they'll still, they're going to highlight like some of the most notable iconic shows in this bracket. Like the original Naruto is in the preview for this and they don't have original Naruto anymore. So potentially like they're, they might work out a deal if like the winner is something that they don't currently air, they'll air it. But yeah, I guess we'll see. I mean, maybe they're, they're just banking on the fact that the winner is going to be like Dragon Ball Super or something, which <laughs> they already have. So they don't have to worry about acquiring something else for this one time marathon. But yeah, I'm curious. I mean, yeah, actually, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, Dragon Dragon Ball's probably going to win. I think literally Kim Manning on the Adult Swim Sports Showdown called Dragon Ball like the Rick and Morty of anime <laughs> for Adult Swim, which is fair considering the ratings Dragon Ball got compared to the other anime that airs on network is like... Uh, it, it Dragon Ball performs exceptionally well. Oh, I mean, I was gonna say like that's that's not not true. Um, mm-hmm. per- personally, I would love to like revisit the days of old Cartoon Network and just like go back to having old Naruto marathons or whatever. Um, I think they did a Naruto marathon for New Year's at one point, and that was the sickest shit of my life. Yeah, like, that was a great marathon. Like, that was the Naruto's New Year's Eve 2005. They aired basically all the episodes that they broadcast so far uh, of the Zabuza arc, and that marathon ended. It was it was followed on, by, on Adult Swim by a 12-ounce mouse marathon. <laughs> so it was, a, it was an interesting combination there. But yeah, I mean, the Naruto Hundo, of course, was memorable and iconic. Like literally three days where they played the first hundred episodes of Naruto. That was that was an event for sure. Uh, but I'm I, I mean I don't want Naruto to win this because Naruto is kind of overplayed. But I mean I also think that you know speaking of overplayed, Dragon Ball is gonna win it. So I mean I, I'm just curious to see like how certain shows are going to compete against each other. Like, even if the winner is a foregone conclusion, like with the a Summer Showdown, like, you know, Rick and Morty winning, that was kind of expected. But, like, seeing, like, what other shows, how far other shows made it, that was very interesting. So that's what I'm also curious about, too. And that's what makes, like, these kind of bracket tournaments, especially, like, these kind of official ones, like, really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, but uh, I think that about does it for news, and uh, 
Yeah, I think we should move on to all the new manga we have to talk about in our already recorded segment. Yeah, I think we need to just jump into our plus-sized review segment of all these new simulpubs. All right, well, we might as well get to all the new stuff that we've had to read over the past uh, month or two at this point. Um, we've really let pubs kind of build up, uh, unfortunately, but we're getting to them now and that's all that matters. Um, so just to kind of do things differently, we'll, we'll get into the new jump starts a little later into the show, but I think we should start off with some stuff from Mangamo, actually. And I'm sure Mangamo has a lot of pubs that they're running at this moment. I'm I'm not sure, like, which of them are actual pubs and, like, which of them they just, like, picked up recently. Maybe they were already running. Um, I guess in the case of these two, I know one of them has been running longer than the other. I guess, um, I don't know, which which one do you want to talk about first? I'm kind of cool with either. That deuce is the one that's been going for a month now so we can start with dead deuce that's also a good one to start with because it's currently like the number one most popular title on mangamo and i can definitely see why considering it's very actiony premise and fairly explosive artwork so this manga comes to us from mori kotaro who was the artist of the gurren lagan manga and the full title of the series is dead deuce hero of the dead it seems to be weekly simulpubit updates on Thursdays. And the basic premise of the series is that a high school girl named Shion Shirogane was put to sleep after an event called the Great Calamity and reawakens a hundred years later. And she's a really powerful high schooler. She's no normal girl. Cause when she fights, like, she just uses like very straightforward physical attacks, like kicks and punches and whatever. But they're so powerful. The impacts literally blow her enemies away. They're super explosive. She also possesses some sort of special power called Aura Gear, Seraphic Aura, which are powers inherited from her mother based on tears pioneered by her quote-unquote crappy dad. But basically the plot of the series is that she's reversing old France with her companions who are grave knights, quote-unquote immortal heroes of the dead, uh, Hanzo and Musashi. That's right, the legendary Japanese samurai Harari Hanzo and Miyamoto Musashi. And they fight reversers, which are basically just zombies. It's just as a magazine for zombies. And among these zombies are evil, resurrected historical figures who become super zombie monsters called Death Knights. And they work for an evil collective called Ghoulzom to collect. And, uh, the goal of Shion and her companions is to collect soul ships from defeating the Death Knights. And to ultimately take down Gulzom. So in these first couple chapters, we basically got introduced to the characters. And we're still kind of in the aftermath of the first battle in the series. Where they fought Gilda Ray, who wore a suit of armor and killed people with torture devices like Bronze Bulls and Iron Maidens. And Mary Antoinette, who like held her own decapitated head in her hands which is very funny and she used her fans for like wind-based attacks and then ultimately king louis the 14th who as the sun king was like this giant hulking monster who could summon other zombies but they basically save a boy named raimi after like gilde ray and marianne Trudet led a zompede aka zombie stampede of reversers to like massacre his entire hometown 
And so they save this kid, Remy, and in the aftermath of this battle, after they defeat King Louis XIV, whatever, it seems that Remy's grandfather, who he had kind of a complicated relationship with, but his grandfather ultimately sacrificed himself to help Remy get away. But now it turns out that his grandfather seems to have been resurrected as a reverser himself. But Remy, his role so far is like he seems to believe in this legend of a legendary saint who saved like the village long ago. And Shion is probably connected to this legend considering when Remy sees her for the first time, she, he envisions her as that saint. And the villains certainly seem to know like that she is certain special like kind of person in this whole thing. But basically, thematically, the central conflict of the series is that it's between nihilists who revere that and the past and optimists, uh, the Shion's group, who believe in the potential of life and the future. So kind of a very simple core, and it's like really all about like crazy action with reimagined historical characters. The appeal is very much like drifters in that way, especially with this different factions of resurrected historical characters who have kind of one side fighting with the hero and the other side are the antagonists. And very similarly to Zip Drifters, Drifters is all like Japanese heroes or like on the good guy side. And then the enemies are, were like foreign historical figures for the most part. Uh, and there were like foreign characters on the Drifter side doing that. But like in that manga, it also reframed it differently in that like the villains of the resurrected historical victor, uh, figures, they were like good people, heroic people who were like betrayed and so now are, were resurrected resentment. In this manga, it seems like you have like historical figures who are like generally considered to be, you know, bad people in life already, like Marie Antoinette and uh, King Louis XIV or whatever. So, yeah. That's basically Death Dues in a nutshell. Uh, what were your impressions of the series? Um, I thought this was fine. Uh, I thought this was, uh, I mean, uh, if I didn't already know that this artist was responsible for the manga adaptation of Gurren Lagann, I probably would have been able to put two and two together on my own, considering just, like, just, just how, like, dynamic the art is, and, like, I, I feel like there are hints of, like, like like the like the sort of typical like American comic book style here and there, and uh, I don't know. I I thought this was just just like a fun little action series. I I don't know. Like, but basically the first like the first couple chapters of this would make like a really great first anime episode. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it's all like one conflict, and it reads fast. So in animation, that would translate to some fast action. I think you could literally use chapter zero as like the cold open, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah, that trigger connection is also pretty interesting because you definitely can see that kind of hot-blooded, vivacious spirit in this series. That same sort of big optimism uh, for the potential of humanity, celebrate life and its all possibilities against villains who like want to oppress and subjugate and just keep everyone down, so... I mean, it's very walking very similar territory to a lot of trigger stuff there. And Maishi stuff in general, really. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that, that, that's just kind of where I'm at. Like, like by itself and anything, I would actually love to see this animated. Yeah, I think there'd be a lot of cool potential for an animated adaptation. Uh, it's just, yeah, it is a fun action series that has, like, an nugget of an interesting thematic idea but it really is all about the spectacle of it all 
And overall, I do think it really succeeds on that front. My biggest criticism is just that I could do without the fan service and the upskirt shots. But alas, I guess that's the <laughs> MO. I, I I guess, yeah. Um, yeah, I, c- I could have done without some of that stuff, too. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think you can easily kind of, like, skim past that. You know, it's 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 kind of there and gone for the most part. It's just a shame to have like this awesome badass kick undermined by the fact that you're peeking up Shion's skirt and seeing her exposed panties and whatnot. You know, it's kind of undercuts the coolness of the scene to also have fan service in that same scene. No, I get you. Um, I also didn't really care for what was it Hanzo kind of being like, oh man, I can't get enough of. Of, of of her and her like battle armor and i'm like dude you're probably like older than her you should that's, yeah. that's, that's not cool i don't like that at all yeah some predatory comments that are unwelcome it's a really good action manga so far that my biggest drawback to this is like the fan service elements like the sexualization of the lead protagonist like she is super powerful and cool but you know that is undermined by the fact that she is also subjugated to the male gaze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's definitely something worth criticizing. Um, I mean, essentially, yeah, it's kind of a shame. I don't, I don't think really either of us have too many like other deeper thoughts about the series so far. It's just, it's just a lot of fun. And basically, if you want something with the same kind of like bombast as Gurren Lagann and you know, something with like with with like a historical edge to it. Like I'm assuming we're probably going to see other historical figures brought back to life at some point. Most definitely. So if that sounds appealing to you, I would at least give the first like five or so chapters a read. See 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 if you're into it. Yeah, it goes by fast, and the chapters available so far tell kind of a complete fight at the very least, if not a complete story, a complete fight. So. It's very opportune moment to jump in with the amount of chapters out. Yeah, um, and I guess spo- spoilers for the latest chapter if you want to skip ahead a few seconds. But uh, I'm interested in seeing where the where the big cliffhanger with uh, with the grandpa becoming a zombie is going to take them. I'm assuming that's probably going to be a pretty emotional chapter. Yeah, I'm curious how he survived the explosion. He literally blew himself up with a. <laughs> pack of dynamite strapped to his chest so like how was he turning a zombie from the mincemeat uh the ashes that splattered all over after exploding himself yeah that's a little that's a little suspect <laughs> <laughs> uh but I'm, I'm sure remy's gonna have to like to probably take out his own grandfather and that's that's probably gonna be really sad yeah, or perhaps there is a cure that the heroes have to revert people from reversers back to how they normally are. But so far they haven't done that, so we'll see, I guess. But uh, yeah, in conclusion, uh, Death Days is a lot of fun, and uh, I think we both recommend it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Alright, and with that, I guess we'll move on to My Evil Stepbrother, which I, d- I don't know if we'll have as many thoughts, but hmm, well. we'll... We'll, we'll see. Uh, what, 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 so what is this series about? So this comes to us from Shino no Tomu, and I tried looking them up to see if they've done any other series, and I 
couldn't find anything besides a press release for this series on Mangamo. So perhaps if they have done work before, it was under another pen name, but I couldn't find anything really much about them. But this series, it actually just debuted on the app as of this recording. So there's only one chapter out. Yeah, so I actually had to do a little research on this, but uh, so uh, this series, even though it was just picked up by Mangamo and only has one chapter, um, as far as I could tell, uh, this series actually started last year. Uh, I, I literally had to look it up through like where where it was like originally running, and as far as I could tell, uh, this series is running on a site called Ganma.jp. Uh, I don't really know much about the website. I'm assuming it's like some kind of online portal for manga or something. Uh, maybe it doesn't even originally run here. I don't know. But as far as I could tell, um, yeah, uh, just looking at the website right now, this series has been running since April of 2019. How many chapters are out in Japan? Uh, as of this recording, it looks like 40 chapters are available on Ganma. Okay. Regardless, this series is about Satono, a lonely middle school girl who self-isolates herself out of the fear of being abandoned and left alone. She, at the start of the manga, lives alone with her mother, who works longer hours, which leaves her home alone most of the time. Satono has a community that cares for her, but she's kept emotionally distant from them. Even when her friend invites her over to hang out, she turns him down because she thinks even if she has fun, she'll just be left alone again afterwards, so there's no point. But one day, her mom introduces her to her fiancé Hidetoshi and reveals that she plans to marry him if Satono approves, and she also meets his son Ryo. And at first, Satono is nervous because of the suddenness of meeting these new people, but Ryo is really kind to her and considerate of her in their first dinner together and helps her break her nervousness and enjoy your meal. And so she becomes comfortable around them. And soon after, Hidetoshi and Ryo move in with them and they be become an official family. But Satono is still nervous around them and tries to break the ice with both her new stepdad and brother by offering to make breakfast and dinner for them. But they both blow her off. And because everyone in her family works late, she's still left alone at home, even at dinner time, most of the time, even though she just really wants to have a family dinner, a dinner together with her family. And so at first, Satona thinks to herself that this isn't a big deal. It's only natural that their schedules don't line up because they only started living together recently and everything's normal. But she later finds out Ryo outright lied to her about having work and ignored her when she called out to him in public to hang out with his friends. And when an opportunity comes up for everyone to have a family dinner on Rio's birthday, Satoni asks him and he promises to think about it. But when the day comes, he doesn't show up to his own birthday dinner and opted instead to hang out with his friend, potentially going home with her. And Satono tracks him down before this and asks him like why he didn't show up. And he reveals how he really feels about her and her mom and calls them strangers and badmouths her mom and calls Satono annoying and cringy. And so all his kindness towards her before is really exposed as a facade and he shames her into keeping his secret so that her mom's feelings aren't hurt. And he says basically that, you know, they only have to get along until they graduate high school. They don't need to like each other. And this infuriates Satono, and she declares in her mind that she hates him at the end of this first chapter. So I, well, actually, I'm interested in your thoughts first, since it seems that you don't have too many. Um, I don't have a lot of thoughts on just this first chapter other than, like, this just made me really sad. <laughs> this was this was a bummer read honestly and 
I am kind of interested in seeing where this will go. Like, th- this is the kind of thing that, like, right now, I think... I think I want to let a few chapters of this build up, and then I'll probably get back to it. Um, just because uh, I'm just not really sure, like, where it'll go from here. One thing that does kind of... Um, and and I don't maybe maybe this is me kind of overthinking this, but uh, in my research uh, for this series, I found cover art for the first two volumes uh, online or whatever. And um, uh, how do I explain this? So the English subtitle for for the Japanese volumes for this for this series uh, literally reads "I want to blank my brother." Hmm. Blank being the word that's like scratched out. Um, so I don't know if this is going to end up taking a sort of, uh, a weird, uncomfortable route, a la, like, you know, bunny drop and that kind of stuff where it's like, oh, there's some weird, like, incest stuff going on here. I don't know. Again, I'm, uh, th- there's really not a lot for me to like, I'm, I'm uh, like, again, I only have one chapter to go off of, so maybe I'm totally off base, but like. I don't know, like, what what other, what other words can you fill in that blank with? Uh, let's be honest. Kill? Murder? I'm kind of hoping it leads more into that negative <laughs> direction. But I do share your concerns of this going into a relationship between these step-siblings. It won't be as bad as a bunny drop situation. This would be more like a Marmalade Boy situation. Hopefully less uncomfortable than even Marmalade Boy, because Marmalade Boy had that whole scare of like, oh, are they blood related after all? And then no, it turns out they weren't. But, you know, hopefully they don't pull any lame twists like that in the last minute. Regardless, uh, I actually really uh, like this first chapter. I definitely relate to Satono and her circumstances as someone in a step family myself. And kind of this honeymoon period you have with your new step family when you first meet them. And you're like, oh, this is really exciting. But then, of course, you know, when you kind of start living together, of course, you know, you're going to start getting on each other's nerves. And things won't always be great. And you'll even unintentionally or accidentally hurt maybe hurt each other and it's like all in the process of getting to know each other as a family i'm kind of interested in like this family kind of loosening their kind of coldness toward one another kind of warm up and really come together and have those family dinners that satono really wants to have uh, and i hope that the real drive of the series is satono like reaching out to her brother and changing her brother's mind and, like so they do all come together as a family but yeah i mean i really relate to satono's like circumstances and empathize with her feeling of like being isolated and feeling alone and then like with the potential of having a new family like come together like getting that hope up and then like just the disappointment in like that hope that dream not really coming into fruition uh the reality being different from what she'd hoped for and yeah, it's like a really heartbreaking read, but I think it's very relatable and true to life and a lot of different circumstances in terms of not just relationships with families that have, you know, step family members, but also, you know, uh, other forms of family as well. Like there, these kind of uh, distant relationships can form and it can be difficult to navigate, especially when you're young. So I think it has a really good emotional hook and core to it. I am. Uh, and I'm really uh, invested in, in Satono and do hope that she can, like, kind of loosen out and find a, you know, be comfortable around people and also kind of 
have bring your family together in the way she wants. So, like, I am hooked, and I am up holding out hope that the series does not go in the direction that probably inevitably it might in terms of like the, them getting to a relationship. But I hope uh, the other aspect of the story, like the other hook about like her like really connecting with her family, happens as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I just want to clarify. Like I, I said that the first chapter of this was kind of a bummer. Uh, that that doesn't mean I didn't like like it. I did enjoy it for the most part, and uh, I I do feel a lot of sympathy for Satono. I still I still want to read more of this. Uh, I just don't know. I just don't know if I really want to read it like weekly or whatever kind of schedule manga mo's gonna put this out at so but uh i i i, I like it enough like i i am interested in seeing where it goes mm-hmm. but i guess that does it for our manga mo simulpugs for now or like new uh manga mo ongoing releases but we will return to manga mo in a later episode to cover more series from its catalog including some of their exclusives and some uh library titles that are quite notable so look forward to that in probably a couple months but we will cover a good swat of titles in that episode yeah yeah uh i definitely have possibly one or two titles that i might want to check out as well maybe that i might add it to our little pool of stuff we might talk about but uh yeah um you know we we've talked about mangamo on the podcast before but for those who don't know uh mangamo is a manga reading app filled with a, a lot of different uh titles that you really can't get anywhere else um as well as a bunch of different titles from kodansha if you sign up for the app, you'll get access to stuff like Attack on Titan and Fairy Tail, Fire Force, uh, all all kinds of like really popular stuff too. And again, all kinds of stuff that like is available exclusively on Mangamo. Previously, we uh, we talked about the first few chapters of the uh, Japan Sinks 2020 uh, manga adaptation. I, I need to actually catch up with that soon. Actually, I've let a few chapters build up, but. Uh, yeah, um, so at the time of this recording, you could sign up for Mangamo for $4.99 a month, I believe. And um, I know they're still working on an Android app, I think, but I don't think we have any updates on that just yet. But I know that's that's something that they are working on. And uh, once that app is available, we'll, we'll let everybody know. Um, so look out for that. But uh, yeah, in general, you know, just go go check out Mangamo. You know, go go check out some of the stuff they have on there. Like, I'm actually really looking forward to digging into some series on there, uh, hopefully in the future. Mm-hmm. But now we'll head into our conversation on new Manga Plus series. They added three new titles in these past few months, all of which are quite interesting. Which one do you want to start with first? Um... I'm interested in how you feel about World's End Harem Britannia Lumiere. A great place to start since that was the first of these three to debut on Manga Plus. But yes, this story does come from the original creator of the World's End Harem franchise, interestingly enough. And the art is provided by Kira Eto. But this is very divergent from the other World's End Harem series. Now, disclaimer, I have not really engaged with them, but I know the basic premise of World's End Harem is basically a virus or something writes out most of them, pretty much all men on Earth, and then basically the protagonist of that series woke up 
after like being comatose for five years put into cryogenic sleep and then realizes he's like one of five men left in japan and so basically like every woman wants to you know jump him and stuff so it's it's, it's a very raunchy fan service heavy etchy harem comedy and britannia lumiere is decidedly not that britannia lumiere is more along the lines of classic shoujo isekai premise think along the lines of fushugi yugi red river crest of the royal family and that's where very much intrigued me to the series. But to go over the basic premise, our protagonist is Eri Noguchi. She's considered the school mom of her classroom. She's like kind and fearless, does the right thing. And in the beginning of the story, he has decided to give up on her dream of going to medical school to get a job right out of high school to help try and alleviate the burden that has been put upon her overworked mother and, you know, get to get a job to help pay for their expenses, her mother's expenses, and also, you know, her comatose father's medical bills. But, like, she gets bullied, like, at the train station by uh, Miyari Hojo, who is, like, the school idol. She's a showbiz girl who's, like, popular, well-connected, and very, very mean. She thinks that Eri is less, like, playing the role of the tragic heroine, is, like, trying to guilt her into backing off from hanging out with the boy that they both mutually like, who Eri does have a crush on, but she says, like, right after Hojo that she has more on her mind than romance. But basically, Hojo, I mean, Eri rescues Hojo after Hojo Hojo, like, falls on the train track. She just, like, slips and then <laughs> knocks her head on the rails. So, like, Aria, like, jumps down and, uh, you know, rescues her. But she ends up getting seemingly hit by the train. But she is uh, Isekai to another world. And she awakens in basically an Arturian fantasy world called Britannia, Kingdom of Light. And she has been summoned by these royal knights to be the goddess of light who has been prophesied as someone who will help them defeat the white witch who has put all the women in the country under a spell of deep sleep called the white sleep uh, which resembles a plague known as the white debt that will kill them if the spell is not broken in three months and the spell even affects women from outside the country it seems so like all women besides the goddess of light are affected by the spell in the country. So she mainly teams up with the Arthur's faction. Arthur is a royal prince, fourth heir to the throne of Britannia. He's sixth in line for the throne. His uh, right hand man is Richard, who looks like the boy that Aerie liked in her home world. And he has like a magic crystal that was passed down in his family that has the power to return Aerie home. And she considers using it because of, you know, the weird circumstances she's placed in. Also, an attempted rape by really wicked nobles and whatnot. Uh, but she finds out that his sister Margaret is like under the white sleep and that the magic crystal is what will keep everyone who is under this deep sleep, you know, alive for three more months. So she uses it like basically that will basically take away something that's basically their life support system. So after learning this, Ari decides not to return home and she decides instead, you know, after forging trust in Arthur and Richard to confront the White Witch in one month's time and try using her. If they can't do that, then no matter what, they are going to use the White Witch's crystal to undo the White Sleep. And so there are other dudes in Arthur's faction too who haven't gotten a ton of development yet, but will nonetheless be probably about uh, probably members of Ares' harem in the series. 
Uh, one of them has a cute dragon larva mascot, too, called Guaver. But much like how in Worlds at Harem there were five surviving men, there are actually five women from Ares' world in Britannia, and they are all trying to vie for the title of Goddess of Light. And among them include Hojo, and also the successful CEO of an IT company who is dating a popular idol in uh, the Ares' world, so... As dictated by prophecy, Ari has to take a pledge of light and become engaged to a knight that she's going to partner with to defeat the White Witch. The pact is sealed by her kissing her chosen knight on the forehead, but uh, two of them actually end up kissing their chosen knights on the lips, one of them being that IT president. But Hojo chooses Harold, the king's grandson and Archer's nephew, though they're both the same age. And Hojo was transported a month earlier in been airy into Britannia, even though presumably they should have been transported at the same time, or Ari or Hojo later than Ari. So why Hojo came into the world at an earlier point in time is interesting. But because she's been around for a month longer, she's learned all about the kingdom's politics and reasons that Harold is next in line for the throne, so she sides with Harold. And so the most recent developments in the series is that Harold and Hojo have imprisoned Ari and Richard as punishment for Ari, like bad-mounting Harold and other nobles who are talking shit about Arthur and Richard at, like, the coronation ceremony. And both of them are basically trying to get the other to apologize in a humiliating and demeaning way and switch sides. But both Ari and Richard refuse in a really awesome moment of solidarity. And that's basically the story so far. And again, I really like this story uh, because I think Ari is quite compelling as a protagonist. I like the parallel of all these women in Britannia are under deep sleep. Her father is a Kobotose state. Through this story, no doubt she will, in helping undo the curse put upon these women, she'll figure out a way, if not like practically actually coming back into the real world, she'll be able to wake up her father. She will like regain the confidence to probably pursue her dream of going to medical school and that in turn will help her uh bring her father out of her vegetative state but like they set up a very clear good parallel uh there in terms of plot elements so it's like a really classic uh fantasy setup in terms of having all these metaphors for things going on in areas like normal daily life in this fantasy world uh, I think Hojo is a really great classic bitchy uh, shoujo rival. I really enjoy her a lot and her passive-aggressive teasing bullying of Aerie. Like, she's a good heel, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a good rivalry there. I think uh, she has some good relationships with Arthur and Richard in particular. And in general, I think that she's shown herself to be a really compelling, strong uh, protagonist. And yeah, in general, it's just really interesting and nice to have, like, a story that is very much in the tradition of these, like, classical shoujo isekai stories being serialized uh, on Jump Plus, Manga Plus, and in a franchise that, like, you would think be so alien to this kind of story being told, like, this kind of raunchy, harem, uh, etchy romp that is the World's End Harem franchise. Like, to have, like, this kind of really sincere fantasy story kind of reappropriating kind of the basic elements of the plot details of that original story is, like, really, really interesting to me. So, I was quite surprised by this. Uh, I really, really am enjoying it and yeah i'm really really looking forward to reading more 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, myself, I originally wasn't very interested in this at all because I'm like very vaguely familiar with World's End Harem, uh, at least enough to know that this was like involved in the franchise somehow. So or- originally, when it came to planning the show today, I was personally, I was kind of against reading it just because like I was afraid I was going to be totally lost and that I was going to hate it because of that. Um, so if you see this on Manga Plus and you think like, well, I'm not going to be able to follow this because it's already part of a franchise, don't worry about that. This is so easy to follow. Like, you don't need to know anything about World's End Harem or anything. This is completely its own story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually really surprised, like, how well I was able to follow all this and, like, how much I was kind of getting into it. Uh Again, this is this is something I think I would rather read in chunks. Like I like I'll check in on this like every couple of weeks, but yeah, honestly, like I started reading it and then there was just a point where I was like because I I don't know, like I liked it, but I feel like my one kind of issue with it is that and I, I like I know they have a lot to there's a lot of story to set up and everything, but I I feel like the story takes a long time for it to kind of like actually get going. I mean, it only just started in late June, and basically Manga Plus has caught up to all that's out there right now, so there's only like 15 chapters, and it seems like it's a bi-weekly series, so these chapters are also very short, they're only like 13 pages a piece, so... Yeah, that's interesting. There's only so much story that is being told at a time, so I can understand, like, the slower development... I am personally sad that we have kind of cut up and are not getting two chapters at a time now on Manga Plus because, yeah, it is going to be, man, you'll, if these chapters do breeze by, so it will be kind of sad to, like, only have a 14-page chapter every two weeks from now on. Mm-hmm. I am not opposed to keeping up with this. I actually enjoyed this way more than I thought, and I, I'm really glad that you're not the only one who thought Fushigi Yugi because I definitely got Fushigi Yugi vibes from this. Um, yeah, and uh, I don't know. I, I don't really know what else I can add there other than I I thought it was good and uh, I'm interested in seeing where it goes. I'm also interested in like how long the series will run because uh, because it it feels like it feels like there's a pretty there's a pretty set like amount of time it's gonna take for. Uh, for everything to kind of like resolve and wrap up, because I think they mentioned at one point that like she she has like a month before she can like return to her world or something. I forget. Yeah, I mean they have three months until potentially everyone under the white sleep will be will die. So like they have resolved like the next possible opportunity for Aerie to return home is in a month. I think presumably she'll have a chance to return home after uh, every month. But basically, I think it'll take place over this three month period. I don't think they'll succeed in unbeating the White Witch in a month. And really, the story, again, it really only has just started because we still don't really know too much about the other goddesses of light or the people they partnered with. And so there's so much more story to explore and expand upon. I mean, we also don't know a whole lot about some of the people in Archer's Entourage and uh, Ares' uh, potential harem. It's like they, we just we got a good sense of Archer and Richard, but there's there's other guys too that we gotta find some uh 
more time with, get some more development for. So I think that this is probably going to go on for a little bit, I imagine. I'm really surprised how many characters we have to juggle for this. Like, I was, at first I was kind of expecting this to be like a reverse harem. Like, she was going to have to, like, pick a guy and but 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 then you find out like oh a bunch of other women from from her world came here too and that that really adds a wrench to to things I think because it's like oh well now she she might have to face off against these other women somehow possibly and that's I I I, th- I think that's a really interesting wrinkle yeah the competitive aspect to it is like a good level intrigue and I'm glad that Hojo is around because again I think she's a great heel I really enjoy her anytime she shows up and uh tries to bully Gary to no avail uh and yeah I think I mean it's still a reverse harem because she does still ultimately have to choose who her like knight of light is gonna be like is it gonna be Arthur Richard or one of the other guys like we will see she hasn't actually chosen who her knight is yet, so we will. Mm-hmm. That's something uh, to pay attention to, I guess, going forward. But yeah, I mean, again, I think that, you know, if you did have any trepidation because of this being attached to the World's End Harem franchise and the original story, Arthur and Solvents in that franchise not really being your thing, this is really so divergent and so very loosely connected to the rest of it. It is absolutely standalone. You can so totally enjoy it on its own thing. So if you like, again, classic shoujo isekai fantasies like Fushiki Yugi and Red River, this would be up your alley. It's like a modern version of that. It's really well done so far. Yeah, I'd recommend this too. Uh, I will probably pick this up when maybe there are a few more chapters out. But I'm I'm, I'm not opposed to reading more of it, actually. So mm-hmm. Excellent. But why don't we talk about Hokkaido Girls next? Oh, okay. So Hokkaido Girls comes to us from Kai Ikada. Uh The basic premise of this is that main protagonist, Tsubaki Shiki, moves from Tokyo to Hokkaido. Hokkaido is, of course, very cold, wintry. So he's a little uh, out of place there, you know, kind of trying to adapt to the cold, wintry Hokkaido. And he also, you know, is kind of moving to this new place to so be doesn't really have any friends or knowledge of the place but he meets like a girl a local there called Minami Fuyuki they hit it off really fast they become fast friends after they find out they go to the same school and just chatting and hanging out and stuff and so it's basically just Tsubaki and Fuyuki just hanging out and being friends and eventually another girl Sayori becomes friends with them too and so there is a developing love triangle between them as well, but it's it's really just like the cute daily adventures of these guys, like all becoming friends and you know hanging out together. So originally, when we reported that this was being added to Manga Plus, I expressed like my disappointment in a lot of the fan service in the series, how Fuyuki is very overly sexualized, and my. Uh, criticisms still stand. I am not a fan of that, but I am glad that as the series has gone on, as more chapters have come out, we have moved a little bit away from that. Uh, and we've really developed the relationships a lot better. And like Sabaki is not always whenever he's encountering Fuyuki and getting horned up, like being, oh, is she, is she putting the moves on me? Is she being sexually suggestive? And like, has seemingly now understand it like Fuki is just very friendly and just wants to be his friend and hang out and stuff so he's not like getting as worked up about that which is nice and so now they can just do nice friendly things together 
So I like that. Yeah, that that really turned me off at first because that that shtick got really old. Where it's like, oh, she's trying to she's trying to seduce me. Oh, what a succubus! Oh yeah. man, she 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 definitely just wants to bone me. Oh man, I'm I'm into proper girls who just she is she's most unorthodox. Like I I got tired of that really quickly, but thankfully the series gets over that I think quickly enough and. I wasn't expecting the series to become as wholesome as it is, and now, now I kind of uh, now, now I want more of it. I need this in my life. Yeah, I think the turning point was really when Fuyuki uh, met Sabaki's grandma. That chapter ended up being really nice because you know, of course, uh, Sabaki's grandma is kind of very hard nosed. She's like really uh, strict with Sabaki, and she's. At first, distrustful of Yuki because she uncovers them in the glue and overhears like something supposedly suggestive. Oh, whoa, vacuous. But after like Fuyuki comes over to her house, like she kind of gets charmed by her kindness and that she's generally very knowledgeable and looking out for Sabaki and stuff. So that wins her over. And yeah, basically. She kind of accepts her as Sabaki's friend. And then really Sayuri's introduction in the next arc after that was like really turned the series over in the wholesomeness. Because I do like, you know, Sayuri was this introvert who was very kind of nervous about the fact that she overly sweats and she's not very good at athletics. So she kind of like hit herself away in the bus to wipe off her sweat, but then confides in Sabaki. And then they form a connection over like gaming and mutual trust. And then eventually Sabaki helps Yuri kind of get out of her shell and also become friends with Fuyuki. And so that was a really nice arc and nice character relationship. And so I like that now they are a nice trio of friends. And of course, again, there's a romantic triangle aspect. And I think even earlier than I expected, there seems to be hints that Fuyuki is definitely developing feelings for Zabaki because in the chapter where like their mom is driving them uh, during like the snowstorm, like at the end of it, like her mom like invited him over to their house and whatnot and she asked him hey was that a smooth mood and she was like oh just a bit so there's there's some hints that she has some some feelings there she she really likes hanging out with uh sabaki but yeah uh again i just think the character relationships have developed into something really nice and charming Mm -hmm. and we, we we need to bring this up uh him and uh, Sayuri uh, specifically bond over Super Smash Plus. Yeah, yeah. Which is literally a Super Smash Brothers type game full of just jump plus manga characters. I want it. Yeah, I want to play with uh, Hell's Paradise characters versus spy family characters. Definitely throw in weird characters from non-fighting series in there. Like, let's fight uh, the cheating dude from Dear Sachad. I'd like to beat him up. <laughs> I'd like to see Gabimaru eviscerate him. <laughs> I'd like you to can, see uh... Yor and Twilight assassinate the shit out of him. <laughs> uh, what, what, what other characters would you like to see eviscerate this person? Literally probably every good character in a Jump Plus series should just bag on that Stupid, awful, terrible <laughs> protagonist from Dear Sachan. 
Oh my god, we have not talked about the ending of Dear Sunshine yet, but holy gosh, <laughs> what a trash fire! Um, yeah, I, I I'm just noticing you could see uh, you could see Lycopene, the the Toma Toy Poodle, in there too. Yeah, that's nice. I'd love to play as that character. Yeah, he rant about Japanese politics and just <laughs> overwhelm everyone with just his ferocity of his political convictions. Uh See this, the, I I I thought I thought all that was great, and it just it just made me think like, man, why can't we have that? Um, no, but uh, man, I I don't know what else to say about the series again, other than I didn't have a lot of expectations going in. I had very low expectations, quite honestly, based on a lot of the beginning chapters. But again, I I think if you read enough of it, it really turns into something quite wholesome. Uh, and just something where it's like, man, I just, I just like seeing these kids hang out. I just want, I just want more of this. Like, this is, this is cute. I would, I would put this in this, in, maybe it's not like as sweet, but like, I, I would put this in the same category as like my love story, where it's like, this is a cute manga. And I just want to watch these characters just, just hang out and be cute together. Yeah, it's a charming slice of life. And I guess another aspect I want to bring up quickly that I appreciated is that, Oh, I don't know how much Hokkaido's winters resemble Minnesota's, but some of the discussion about, like, how, oh, like, this kind of winter in Hokkaido is, like, totally northless. We don't mind driving, walking through the snow, or walking through the snow. Like, this is just pretty typical. Like, school's not going to get canceled over this. Uh, whereas in places further down south, like, at, the, at like, the slightest uh, inches of snow, they will cancel immediately. But, like, in Minnesota, like, yeah, you, you drive through, like, super heavy snowstorms and super icy roads to, uh, to go to school, work every day. So I appreciated that chapter. I appreciated a lot of the, the adaptations to cold weather that Fuyuki has to teach Sabaki, because I can relate to them as a Minnesotan who also has to survive pretty crazy winters. You know, I didn't think about it, but yeah, honestly, Minnesota, it really is just the Hokkaido of the United States. Sure. <laughs> uh, look, I, I, I have, I, I've been to Minnesota during the winter. I have a lot of family down there, so I know what that's like, too. It's not fun. I mean, maybe sometimes it could be fun. Yeah, but it's not fun when it gets into the negatives or when it's a, bli a blistering <laughs> blizzard out or when you have to scoop up like like a feet or two of snow off the driveway in the early morning to go to work living in a snowy condition is very very uh annoying sometimes oftentimes well uh better better enjoy fall while it lasts then yeah i mean luckily things to global warming fall lasts a little <laughs> bit longer but also, it pushes back spring a little bit, too, when winter does arrive. So, a give and take, I suppose. Honestly, you know, he, he, I don't know about anywhere, uh, everywhere else, but, like, here in Missouri, sometimes it just kind of feels like fall never shows up, and it just feels like we get, like, th uh, two extra months of summer, quite honestly. Interesting. That's neither here nor there. Um, Hokkaido gals, it turns out, are super adorable, as, as, is, as is proven by this manga. And uh, we have a lot of chapters to enjoy uh, on Manga Plus as, you know, one of the interesting things that Manga Plus does is they translate, like, all the text that was in the Japanese original, even, like, the out-of-date stuff, like, when the next chapter is coming. So we know that the Manga Plus releases are, like, ten months behind. 
So we have plenty of chapters up to enjoy, like uh, weekly double chapters of before they catch up. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to be keeping up with this. Um, like th- th- this is the kind of thing I feel I feel like is like is like is like meant to be enjoyed weekly. Like, oh, I have a I have a new chapter of Hokkaido Girls out. What what kind of what kind of cute adventures are my are, are my cute kids going to go on? You know. Yeah, same as Tis Time to Torture Princess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess we should move on to uh, Excuse Me, Dentist. Yeah, I also mentioned when we reported about these editions, some of my initial thoughts on this, and how I was very pleasantly surprised about the kind of twist or like defiance of expectations from what you might expect uh, from looking at the cover image and what the story actually ends up turning about. Yeah, this is not what you expect at all. Yeah, no, you might expect from the cover image that this would be like an etchy comedy at a dentist's office, but it's a little bit more than that. So the basic premise of this is that uh, Takuma Kurosumi is a Yakuza gang leader. He has a nickname of the Moving, uh, and he has a really bad oral hygiene and a fear of women. And uh, he basically ends up going to the dentist after his right-hand man, Izaki, like fakes his debt to in order to make him motivated to face his tears. But of course, this is immediately exposed when he's at the dentist's office anyway. But uh, he ends up going to... Uh, Terimori Shirayuki, who's kind of sadistic and a little mean. He calls, uh, she calls, uh, his mouth like a toilet because of how badly maintained it is. And basically compare, says that, you know, plaque is developed and bacteria like kind of poop on your teeth and stuff, which is, it's not medically inaccurate. It's just a really funny way of describing it. So basically, uh, she compares, um, his mouth to a toilet and eventually helps him get over like his fear of not only just doing a dental surgery operation but also his fear of women because he has like an aversion to women that was kind of inspired by as a kid like he had a crush on a friend of his eye but like because he was like son of a yakuza boss like he was kind of worried that like he was like you know, intimidating her by hanging out of her. Eventually, he did try to confess his love for her, but then she, like, vomited, and so that was a dramatic incident, so he's been scared of, like, getting close to girls ever since. But, you know, he feels comfortable around Shirayuki, and the unmoving moves. Uh, One of the funniest parts of this manga is that it makes a lot of very funny erection jokes. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, but, of course, the big twist is that Shirayuki isn't a cis woman he is a cross-dressing man and is in fact the leader of the rival yakuza gang to his so it's an interesting twist on this but nonetheless a relationship between the two does develop and eventually they even do start going on dates though uh, Shirayuki is keeping the secret from him even still, and there's all sorts of misunderstandings about people thinking that, oh, she has a fake boo, she's wearing a padded bra, and so there's this whole, like, conversation that she has with Izagi, where, like, they aren't on the same page of what they're talking about, like, he thinks that they're talking about his secret being a crossdresser, while Izaki's talking about him wearing padded bra, fake boobs, so they're funny, like, 
innuendo conversations like that. Uh, There's some really nice, uh, funny, raunchy humor. But yeah, I mean, it's basically about the relationship between uh, Kurizumi and Shiryuki as it develops. And there's like other characters, uh, members of their family and factions of the myths. It seems that Shiryuki has an aversion to his dad because when they're going on uh, the date, he kisses Kurizumi to kind of make sure his dad doesn't notice him while they're out on the date. And then, uh, yeah, so there's something there that's interesting to see how that's going to go. Uh, and then, of course, there, like, Izaki's younger sister is in love with uh, Kurizumi, and she has, like, these iron knuckles, and it's very intimidating. But, like, her efforts to kind of expose or intimidate Shiryuki haven't uh, really been successful either. So there are some fun characters in this, a good ensemble sporting cast. Oh, I also like uh, Shiryuki's uh, right-hand man, who just thinks the entire situation of, like, the cross-dressing and dating is really funny, and so encourages, like, the misunderstandings along. So that was pretty funny, too. Uh, But yeah, uh, again, just, I really like that this is, like, a... BL, or maybe we wouldn't call it BL, just outright, like, a gay relationship forming between these two Yakuza heads under the guise that one is cross-dressing. And there's, like, some really fun comedy in this. And again, it's the funniest uh, erection dick jokes that uh, I have seen in a very long, long time. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I have very mixed opinions on the series. And, and so the series itself is really funny, right? I I really enjoyed it, actually, but I have to be honest, and I don't know, maybe you'll disagree with me on this, and I I don't want to disparage the work of, like, anybody involved with simulpubbing this when I say this, but I don't know, I really feel like the way the series is translated really kind of, like, takes me out of reading this. Interesting. Like, I, I don't think the translation itself is bad, but I feel like... I feel like this is the kind of series, like, like I, fe- I feel like the dialogue is too stilted, hmm. personally. Like, I I feel like this is the kind of series that needs, like, that needs, like, a localization. And I don't know, just just me personally, I think it's because of the way the, the dialogue is written out. Like, I feel like, I feel like the comedy doesn't always hit with me, personally. Like, I, I feel like, I feel like the, w- the way the dialogue is localized, like especially around chapter four uh, with the misunderstanding between Izaki and Shiryuki, I feel like kind of took me out of what was going on, unfortunately. And I don't like that. That's actually where I stopped reading. So I don't know if like, if that kind of thing gets any better or I don't know. Did, did you have any problems with that? Or am I, am I the crazy one here? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I can see where you're coming from with some of the silted dialogue and definitely, especially them, kind of having to talk around like what they're actually saying so like when Izaki is like so when they're having this Izaki's having this conversation is talking about like all the things that Shiryuki's keeping secret and he's really referring to his boobs and not like just himself as a person and then we have like in brackets like your boobs whenever he's like act to note that that's what he's actually talking about like that is kind of like I I got the idea but like yeah reading it out it does read a little clumsy so and I definitely do see other bits of dialogue where, yeah, this could be rewritten to be a little more uh, casual or a little more natural sounding. 
Like there yeah. is some there is some elements of how things are written where the characters seem to speak a little more formally than may perhaps they should. In general, I guess it just was not as big an impediment uh, to my enjoyment because I I just am enjoying the characters and the situations and the overall comedy and art of it and the art being really funny in of itself is uh, definitely helps it out too. But I do think that you have a valid point about the stiltedness of the translation in many areas. Okay, yeah, I, I was I was kind of afraid that this was just so, uh, that this was just something that like I had a problem with. But like again, like I I, I think that that's the only thing that kind of takes me out of reading it, unfortunately, because otherwise I I do think the series is funny, and I was I was kind of wanting to read more, but also I. I I unfortunately uh, read a lot of this right before we recorded, and so I kind of also had to kind of pick and choose, like, oh, what more? What, what do I want to read more? You know, and so there's that, and that's that that's that's on me. That's my own fault. There, uh, I wait too long to uh, get ready to get uh, to get ready for the show sometimes. Uh, but also, yeah, it like like around that chapter in particular, I I just I had a lot of trouble, kind of like kind of like reading everything and kind of like making sense of like. What's what what was going on and what they were talking about, uh, and again m- maybe maybe it gets better after that I don't know, uh, or maybe the like the dialogue isn't as jumbled because we're not dealing with, yeah uh, we're, we're we're not we're not dealing with like uh, characters not speaking around what they're actually talking about yeah exactly yeah that's what I meant to say. Um, I don't know. I would like to read more of this, but uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll probably pick this back up again at some point. But again, yeah, I just I personally don't agree with the way the dialogue is written, not specifically, but otherwise I enjoyed it. I think that's a fair uh, criticism, but overall with the story itself, the characters themselves, uh, the artists, I am really enjoying this and have really enjoyed uh, keeping up with it. I'm very intrigued to see uh, how the relationship between uh, them develops. Mm-hmm. Like, like if this got an anime, I'd, I'd definitely watch it for sure. Mm-hmm. But overall, um, these new additions, the manga plus were actually really good. Like all of them. Yeah. I'm very glad that they expanded the roster with like three really, really good titles. And I am hoping that they will continue to add even more. Cause of course, gem plus has even more series on there that have yet to be touched. So, uh, hopefully they will continue to add more stuff, but these are a great start, very diverse in subject matter, but because there are diverse, you know, there's something for different people to latch onto and, uh, discover and enjoy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I think we should get to what some of our listeners were probably waiting for, and that is a new round of jump starts. Yeah, I mean... Honestly, I feel like we've talked about the most interesting stuff already. But yes, we do have new jump starts, and there is stuff to say about them. The first one we should talk about, uh, the one that started first, is Phantom Seer. And that comes to us from Toto Goda as the writer. And the art is by Kento Matsura, who previously did Tokyo Shinobi Squad. And the ARP was one of the strongest aspects of that series, so it is great to see them get some new work. This is, though, basically another Exorcist series with a shaman, Iori Katanagi. Iori is very reluctantly a shaman. He doesn't want to be a shaman, but he's forced into doing it because his sister, Yaoi, is like a really elite, super powerful shaman who has like a 
organization or whatever so she forces Ayori to work for her he's also really good at it and you know can uh summon like creatures to fight on his behalf and then after defeating them he also can use their powers after he has captured them and whatnot so there's that aspect and the story basically starts after he meets with uh Ibetsu who has this ability she thinks that that is to basically predict when accidents are going to happen but as it turns out in reality she is attracting danger she's attracting like evil spirits to her that are causing these accidents and that kind of shakes her confidence a little bit because what she wanted to do like what she aspired to do is like to help people and she thought she was helping people thanks to her premonition abilities but she now feels like oh no i am attracting the problems but riku rescues her uh or rather iori rescues her and encourages her saying like even though you your ability might not mesh with like your goals you still don't have to deny like your dream of wanting to help others and you don't have to give up on that so it's a nice encouraging message but basically after that uh riku accompanies iori on his missions to exercise phantoms and they, in the most recent string of chapters, have met a peer of Iori's, who initially says, oh, I hate Iori. His name is Kenma, and he says, oh, I hate Iori. Uh, I, I hate his guts or whatever. But of course, it turns out, no, he actually really respects Iori, because he's a really great shaman. But he's just annoyed that even though he has so much potential and a lot of great ability he is so like flippant and uncommitted to being a great shaman and that attitude of yours is what annoys him even though he really respects them so basically that's like his friendly rival that has been just introduced and then uh, there's another ally of theirs called yojiro who basically like is kind of the information collector of the group and the cleanup guy so that's basically the cast characters of all the basic uh, plots so far we're just getting introduced into, like, Yori's home compound, the Sikiyomi Mansion, so we'll see what comes of that. But, yeah, I mean, overall, it is kind of a standard setup of your typical, like, exorcist, ghost-fighting-type battle shonen. What were your impressions of it? Um, I don't know, maybe I'm calling it early, but I think this was, this was like, the best one out of, out of this round of jump starts. Yeah, I think the art and the characters, initially I really was turned off by Iori. I thought he was very annoying with like how much he didn't want to help people. But ultimately, as the stories go on, you know, he has revealed more endearing aspects to his character and the relationship between him and Riku has become pretty friendly. And there's potential with his, you know, rivalry uh, with Kenma as well. So I'm warming up to him. and. I think the biggest strength of the series is just the art. Oh, Kenta yeah. Matsura's art, like the horror imagery, like how creepy the phantoms can be. Like it's really solid, like horror action stuff. So I think that's like the strongest uh, quality of the manga so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this uh, I I think I saw Maxi say this on Twitter. I forget their exact phrasing, but uh, I'm pretty sure I saw them on Twitter sort of compare this to Muhio and um, Roji. And uh, from the little I've seen of that series, I, I think I can agree. Like, I think this series kind of fills in that particular niche of being like the 
uh, of being the uh, supernatural action shonen with uh, with a bunch of really crazy demonic monster designs. And uh, I don't know. It, it was interesting because, like, like I definitely agree one hundred percent. Kento Matsuda, their art is. I I, th- I think their art is like the sticking point for this series because I. I, I, I quickly kind of gave up on Tokyo Shinobi Squad just because I just really wasn't interested in it. But, like, reading this kind of makes me want to go back to it. Like, it makes me kind of excited to go back to it and, like, actually read it all the way through just because, like, I think I'm slowly becoming enamored with Matsuda's art as I read this. Uh, because I, I think I think they do a lot of interesting stuff between, like... Their sequential art and like even like how expressive the characters can be, especially Iori. And uh, I, I forget what I think it was chapter two. Um, I, I like some of the small sequential stuff they do every once in a while, uh, especially near the beginning of chapter two. I think where uh, where the girl I forget her name already. Um, she she tries to look for Iori. And at first, like she looks and she looks in the room that she that he's always in with all the talismans and stuff. But then, as she's kind of like walking away from the room, you see him kind of like appear almost. Um, I, I thought that was a really neat little like horror movie esque kind of cinematography there that like uh, I really appreciated. So like l- little stuff like that, I really enjoy from this manga. And again, just in general. I, I really like the design of a lot of these, like, different demonic creatures they fight. I even really like possibly what we're going to get with Iori in terms of, like, like, because I, I think it's pretty safe to say that this dude has a really tragic backstory involving him, you know, possibly losing a really good friend of his uh, during one of his missions. And that's why he's so, like, uh, sort of distant from all his classmates and, like, actively does not want to make friends And probably also a big reason why he chides Riku for, you know, just flippantly, like, sacrificing herself or whatever. And, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I think personally, I I know you said you were kind of annoyed with Iori, but I think I, I weirdly liked him from the beginning. Uh, I, I thought his sarcasm and, I don't know, he, he kind of comes off to me like, uh, like a Saitama type of character almost. Where it's like he he he's a character who has like all this power or whatever, and he's clearly he's clearly good at what he does, but like or actually no, I, I guess I guess Psyche Kuso would be a better comparison, actually. Where he has all this power, but like he he really doesn't want to use it and just wants to live a normal life, you know? And uh I don't know, I, I think I'm just strangely attracted to characters like that, uh just personally speaking. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm interested in seeing where this goes. I mean, right now we're kind of we're, we're we're kind of stuck with the like monster of the week sort of formula for now. Yeah. So it's it's kind of hard to say like where this is going to go, but like I'm I'm interested in like learning more about Iori as a character and um, you know kind of what makes him tick and like what happened in his past to. To kind of make him the person he is today, and I, I also like his relationship with his sister. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I thought a lot of that stuff was, um, was pretty amusing, personally. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing more of uh, Yayoi, the sister, as well, since she's reportedly a very popular, uh, powerful shaman. So I would like to see her in action at some point. But yeah, I, I yeah, I think that the series. 
like has endeared me more to Aori as it's gone on. Like definitely that revelation of like uh, losing a friend in the past and that being a motivator of why he wants to get out of the shaman gig is a good reframing of like his motivations that makes him more likable. Uh, I I guess I don't totally glom onto the psyche Saitama comparisons just because I, I feel like Iori flips out more. He's like more aggressively irritable and like whiny whereas Saitama and Psyche are like deadpan and just have this existential ennui of like being the best and not really knowing like what they want to do with their life because they don't ha- really have much of a drive or is he already like he has like any he, he just wants to do anything else but this so i just feel like the deeper character motivations are different but no, i, I agree, yeah. can see where you're coming from in terms of some of those similarities uh and like some of the eccentricities and quirks to his character that can be endearing as time goes on too now that we know that there is like more to why he wants to not be a shaman and more to like why he kind of tries to get out of confronting problems though he says that but obviously ultimately he's a good person at heart and will go in to rescue people and do the right thing in the end like he he protests but he will do the right thing mm-hmm Again, the the series' strong point really is its art, and I, as long as it keeps feeding me, you know, really creepy monsters and demons, and also really creepy imagery, um, I'm kind of flipping through. I I just uh, uh, I'm flipping through the chapter where they're about to enter like the mirror world, and you have that page with Iori and uh, his sort of like demonic doppelganger mirror looking self in the background. Man, that's so creepy. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, as long as the series keeps giving me stuff like that, I think I'm going to keep up with this one, personally speaking. Yeah, the art is really strong. Like, not only that horror imagery, but honestly, the comedy bits, too. Like, there's some good expressions and, like, moments of Lemony Solster the art. So, yeah, overall, this is one where I would say that the bare bones of the story are familiar to utter, like, and supernatural ghost fighting battle manga, but... It, it succeeds through some really uh, exceptional art on Munster's part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, why don't we talk about High School Family next? That is definitely the next one on the docket. This comes to us from the artist of Isobe Isobe Monogatari, Ryo Nakama. And you can probably guess it a little bit. I mean, it, it, stylistically, it's a departure from Isobe Isobe. But I feel like Ichiro's face resembles his just a bit but yeah basically the premise is pretty self-explanatory an entire family the itani family ends up going to high school together this includes like normal 15 year old uh kotaro and then his dad ichiro his mom shizuka uh, his little sister who's a grade schooler now going to high school haruka and then their cat gomez who is a very strange looking cat and this is just kind of an episodic story of this family like uh, adjusting to school life and at the core of it is like uh, the parents want to kind of and relive and enjoy the things they couldn't do in their youth, like going to high school and doing all these things that, you know, come from going to high school. Meanwhile, Shizuka, as a little kid, like, wants to kind of 
grow up fast. She wants to like experience adult things. So that's like why she's going to high school. And then I guess we're going to have to see like Gomez's thing. But I guess he wants to be more human, I guess. <laughs> he certainly kind of blurs the line between animal and human in some uh, drawings of him for sure. Uh, and then Kataro is just like very beleaguered by the fact that he has to hang out with his family and that kind of makes him stick out with Sora Strong but ultimately in every chapter so far at least the last spring of chapters has been him one-on-one helping a family member or interacting with a family member at the school as they kind of develop their deal he's slowly acclimating to the situation even though it's still like is a weird and bizarre one that he's not a terrible fan of of being and his his dad literally quit his job to be a high schooler. Yeah. It, so I I was looking forward to this because I was like very vaguely familiar with Ryo Nakama's work, you know, from Isabe Isabe Monogatari, and uh, yeah, I so far I again I feel like with any Shonen Jump gag manga, obviously like every chapter is really short, like definitely no more than like maybe third pages at most i think they're all like 11 pages almost um so they're all really short uh they don't like each chapter doesn't like oversee it's welcome which is nice um i guess all i could say so far is there have been like small bits here and there that like i've kind of chuckled at like uh i think my favorite chapter so far has been uh chapter four where uh where ichiro is um or kotaro i should say is uh sitting outside it is literally like, oh man, why why can't I just sit here and eat my big stupid raisin loaf bread in peace or whatever? <laughs> so like like little stuff like that, I think is really funny. Yeah, his dad gives him a pack lunch from his mom that just turns out to be another roll loaf of raisin bread. <laughs> um, like I I think there there are little things like that that make me laugh that like that people don't like call attention to or whatever. Yeah, it's very understated comedy. Yeah, like, I like that stuff the most, and also when Kotaro's dad, like, they're they're trying to eat lunch, and, like, a couple couple guys playing with the volleyball, like, accidentally, like, hits the ball over to them, and then uh, the dad just, like, like throws the ball up and spikes it, like, he's a, literally a Haikyuu character, <laughs> and uh, crashes the window. Like, I, 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 I thought that chapter genuinely was pretty funny all throughout. Um, everything else I, I found kind of like amusing. Um, but I, I think this is also, I feel like as goes the case for like a lot of gag manga, I feel like personally speaking, like, I feel like the more care, the more characters you introduce to the cast, like the more, the more you have to work with in terms of the comedy. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping we get to see more characters like actually from the high school that maybe the family can kind of interact off of. That's kind of what I'm sort of looking for the most at this point. Otherwise, I I wouldn't say it's I don't know. It's not like the funniest thing I've read in the world or whatever, but like it's it's amusing. Like, again, this is this is one of those things where it's like if you're reading weekly and a chapter comes out, you kind of read it, get a quick laugh. You're kind of in and out. Like it, it serves the very basic function of a gag manga, I think. But yeah, I'm I'm interested in seeing how far the comedy goes as it kind of like you know moves forward. Yeah, I enjoy it. I think that I really like what it's going for. Again, the basic premise is that the parents basically want to relive their youth or have the youth they never had, whereas the daughter wants to grow up and experience like 
you know, adult things quicker. And again, I'm interested in seeing what the cast deal is. But yeah, I think that when we expand the cast and have even more character interactions, then I'm really interested in seeing how the dynamics will be fleshed out further. I think right now it's kind of good that they're spending like some one-on-one time with each member of the family to get their new ideal a bit first. So I'm appreciating that. And yeah, I mean, inherently, I just find the idea of the series, like entire family going to high school, it is like a good hook. It is like a funny premise. So I like I enjoy the shenanigans they're getting up to uh, in every chapter. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the case close reference in uh, in one of the chapters where Hark is literally like, oh, I'm I'm actually 15 years old. I was shrunk down by an organization. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yeah. That's really good. Also, also, just in general, I I really love Ichiro's design. Like, I just he just looks like a dad. I don't, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. Like, I I just I just love that he looks the part. Like, his face is really like big and long, and and uh, I, I like his jawline is like it's just there are no words. Um, like he, I just I I think his design is probably the funniest. So personally, I'm looking forward to more with with the dad because I think he'll probably be the funniest character. But uh, but yeah, like I said, in general, I'm I'm wondering if maybe we'll get to see more actual like high school or characters, like high school age characters, maybe to kind of uh, play along with the family. I think that'd be kind of funny. But uh, uh, for now, I'm or there'll be a rival family from a rival <laughs> school. But whereas the uh, Yotanis are a bunch of goofballs. They all have their act together. So it's just like they'll play off each other like oil and water. Holy fuck, dude. I need that right now. <laughs> I, I can't believe I didn't think about that. That that needs to. If that doesn't happen, I'm going to be very disappointed in this manga. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, hopefully we can look forward to that. But overall, again, I thought at the very least it was amusing. Yeah. A lot of potential for shenanigans, like, again, just a nice episodic uh, comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm interested in what your thoughts were on uh, Our Blood Oath. This comes to us by Kazu Kakazu. I don't think they have done uh, anything before this, but basically this series is about two brothers. Uh, the little brother is a vampire. The older brother is a human, but he has a contract with the little brother to basically use like uh, vamp. He's very strong. And through the contract, uh, he himself is stronger, but also the little brother gets stronger uh, and can unlock like super powers uh, by drinking the brother's blood and whatever and so they basically are kind of just surviving on their own after their parents are massacred and basically they you know fight other vampires or demons and basically protect people and it seems like they are being monitored or watched by some sort of shadowy organization because what of uh the big older brother shin's classmate ishiyama he seems to be monitoring them. And at the end of the most recent chapter, we are introduced to Nishiyama's supposed cousin, Kiyoka, who also seems a little suspicious and has a suspicious interest in Ko, the little brother. So, yeah, some stuff developing there. Also, uh, like the older brother, Shin, he gets like his vampire slaying weapons from like a shop maintained by like a vampire who looks like a little girl, but like his own is like a hundred years old or something 
Like, she looks way older than she is, but yeah, he basically gets her his weapons from her uh, in her, like, shop or whatever. And they fight using that. And, like, there seems to be, like, some some indication that perhaps, like, the reason there are so many vampiric beasts around is be, is related to Ko Little Butter's powers. So there's something going on there. Yeah, because I think at one point they mentioned that, like, they're related to, like, royal vampires or something. Yeah. So that was interesting. Um, I don't know about you. This, I felt like this was kind of a mix of, like, different elements of, like, Black Butler and Demon Slayer. Yeah, I would very much agree with that comparison, for sure. I mean, especially with, like, the whole aspect of, like, there's a younger character being in contract with an older character, demonic powers, or this case, vampiric, but basically the same thing, powers are involved. Like, that is very much Black Butler going around stopping evil crimes committed by other demons and supernatural shenanigans, all that stuff. And, yeah, this idea also, like, of, like protecting your sibling, that is very Demon Slayer, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely can see those inspirations. I think it suffers to those inspirations uh, in terms of like if you compare like the emotional uh hook uh, and the core relationships to those series and also i think it suffers from being comparison to phantom series like also still in this vein of being a supernatural battle uh, demon fighting type manga like, having two in the same round, like, if you were to compare, like, I do think our blood old, our blood old falls short. Uh, to not say that the art uh, isn't interesting. I think that a lot of the beasts look very uh, interesting, creative, and creepy. Um, there was some definitely some really uh, chilling moments. Like, the character in the first family who's like entire family was being possessed by the vampires and like they were like totally ignoring him like the scene where like he came home and like they're all just staring blankly at him yeah that was pretty creepy so there's some good moments of art here uh the individual stories like as individual chapters are nice but like it is kind of weirdly paced so like chapter two is just like all about ko alone without his other older brother which is an interesting choice that feels like a chapter that you would do later down the line after establishing things so. yeah and and and, and, so, and some kid just like comes into the mansion and we we don't know like how that happens or like where yeah, he came especially from since or... they're supposed to be like sequestered like in the boonies in the hills like really much on the outskirts of the city or something so how does he how did he discover their place that is like strange so it's some some oddities there, I suppose. So I feel like it's only really started, uh, really. So we don't really know like the full extent of how the series is gonna really be in terms of the overall plot, how things are played up, what the antagonists are, like what day to day conflicts are gonna be like. Of course, in every chapter, they've liked had to confront like uh, a vampiric beast, demon thing, and mm-hmm. exercise them and whatever. But, like, will that episodic nature continue? Or with this introduction of, like, they are being monitored and spied on. There's a character that has an interest in coast that is suspicious. Like, is something more going to develop? And so we'll get some more, like, focused arcs uh, sooner than later. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, like, what the status quo of this whole deal is really going to be long term. Mm-hmm. 
I do agree that it's kind of unfortunate that this premiered alongside something like Phantom Seer because now all I can think is, and I mean, uh, I'm not saying Phantom Seer is necessarily like original either because you know we we've seen stuff like Phantom Seer in particular before, but I feel like compared to Phantom Seer, this is I feel like this is a little a little blander almost comparatively speaking. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the art is like generally pretty good. Like I think uh I think chapter three has some of the strongest art uh specifically. I really like how creepy uh the girl looks in some shots. Oh yeah. Because of like how her obsession is taking her over. And uh, I, I really I really like the page like kind of leading up to her like following the older brother. And I I really like the page turn where like you can see that like she's getting closer and closer to him about about to like attack him and then on the next page turn, he, like, instantly turns around and stops her. Like, I actually thought that was pretty, uh... I thought that was pretty effective, dramatically. I really like that. Yeah. And then, uh... The art during the, like, during the battle that ensues is really good, too. Uh, I let out a little yelp when Ko cuts off the wings off the girl in one uh, fell swoop. I thought that was pretty badass. Uh, and, and in general, like, I'm... I'm also interested in where, like, um... In, in how this development with uh, Nishiyama's gonna kind of evolve. He's clearly a double agent or something. Like, uh, I, I, I want to see, like, where that goes. Like, I, I think there's interesting stuff here. But, uh, again, I also think that, like, I don't know, some, something, something about it just feels kind of odd, almost in the way, it, like, it's telling its story, almost. And I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not really sure, like, uh, I'm not really sure, like, if I could put my finger on it or not. Yeah, it's missing a uh, certain special spikes to it, I guess. It's just the thing that makes it, like, really stand out or really gives it, like, a big hook and forward momentum. Mm -hmm. In the same way, like, Phantoms here, like, Phantoms here, like, at least build upon, like, its premise uh, in every sequence chapter and expanded the world. And so we're getting a lot of things happening really fast. And our blood art is doing that. But, like, that second chapter, I think, was what really threw off the pacing of it all. Like, that really kind of broke the momentum of, like, learning more because, like, that kind of just kept us in one location and with just one character and so it didn't really uh, kind of help us, like, learn more about, like, what this series really is about and what it's going to be. So it's making some missteps for pacing, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so in general, I I don't think it's bad, but I don't think it's like it's it's interesting enough. But like, I'm almost wondering if this is going to be the one that's that possibly has, like, the best chance of, like, getting axed prematurely. Yeah, I mean, again, if I were to compare it with the other two, I think it's the weakest in terms of yeah. premise and so far uh, execution of, like, its central idea. So, I mean, like, I know, yeah, I mean, I think that it's, it's, it's just, I mean, in general, with both our blood out and pants here it's gonna be curious to see if either makes it because we've had a lot of supernatural fighters uh debut and jump like pretty frequently so will they 
uh, end up being like Jujutsu Kaisens or will they be Hellborn and Hugamas? Like, I guess we'll have or to Bone see. Or Bone Collection. Or Bone Collection. Bone Collection was this year, you know? So will they end up in that route? Uh, I think Phantom's here just on the strength of his art and the fact that it is building momentum and it has like a lot more interesting hooks to it. I think that has the best chance uh, between these two to succeed. Our Blood Oat, I think, really has shot itself in the foot. And even though potentially the relationship between the brothers should be compelling, I don't feel like the connection is even that strong in an interesting way yet. So... I mean, especially compared to, like, the emotional stakes of Demon Slayer or the sinister uh, undercurrents of the relationship between CL and Sebastian Black Butler, if we were to compare it back to those rare series, I just don't feel it's a strong enough hook, a strong, a, a compelling enough central relationship. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Best case scenario, we end up being wrong, and our blood oath becomes the next Shonen Jump hit. Who knows? Though, personally, I'm going to say, and I know my track record isn't very great, but I'm going to say that's not probably very likely. Just, yeah, just, just, I... just ba- based on these first four chapters alone, I don't think so. But, but hey, maybe, maybe it could recover. Maybe it'll surprise us. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, it could go either way. Like, it has the elements, the ingredients to make, like, an appealing series that could attract a devoted readership. But I just don't think it has really brought out the most in them. Uh, again, I think Phantom Zero has, out of these three, the biggest chance to be a hit uh, if it develops and attracts an audience. But even with Phantom Zero, I'm not sure if it will last because you know Hellward and Hikama was a similar series in terms of having like a really great art a good central relationship between its protagonists and stuff like that but it also did not last so I mean it's really going to be like what the jump readership latches onto. Meanwhile, High School Family is kind of an anomaly. Like, as a gag uh, comedy, it has, like, sort of different expectations. So, I don't know how long that will last or the reach it will have in terms of success. But I wouldn't be surprised if it lasts a little bit. I don't think this would be a series that we would see get canceled in, like, the next serialization round. This might be something like Batana where they keep it around for... Uh, maybe a good year before they decide whether it's going to stick around long term or something. Hell, I mean, the original Isabe Isabe Monogatari lasted like well over 100 chapters, I think. Yeah, I mean, that lasted a good while. Like, that was a pretty good hit for a gag series. So, you know, I mean, again, because of hit the author's track record, like, you might expect that this could last a good couple of years even. Oh, yeah. And I do fully think that the premise is, like, a really great hook. Like, instantly, like, it's an interesting idea. An entire family goes to high school together. So I think that that could be appealing. Uh, We'll see if the jump readership does find that appealing. But, yeah, I mean, Izobe was a hit. It ran for, like, four years. This could... Do the same, but we'll just have to see. Could you imagine if we actually got, like, 100, 200 chapters of High School Family just translated in English? That would that would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's really kind of the gift of 
being having every series translated now. I mean, I'm definitely glad for it that even like series as weird and potentially would have been obscure as high school family are going to be like completely available no matter how long they run. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think I think that probably about does it for our thoughts on uh the the latest jump starts in particular. But we have like a few more things to kind of go over, ma- mainly some. Some special chapters and one-shots, and I think while we're on the subject of Shonen Jump, we should talk about the bonus chapters that we got for The Promised Neverland and Demon Slayer, respectively. Uh, I don't. I guess we could start with The Promised Neverland first. Yeah, but also on the subject of uh, Kaio Shirai and Bosuke Demizu, there is a one-shot that we have not discussed on the show uh, yet from them called spirit photographer we have not covered that yet we will cover that we're going to add that as like a a segment on a future episode uh just to give a little additional bonus content to kind of a special re-release of something we had on our patreon so look forward to that uh towards the end of the month but we're saving that for now, but yeah, we have this Promise Neverland one shot that it's really just a special chapter. This isn't the same as uh, the thing that's going to be at the Promise Neverland exhibition in December. This is just like its its own thing. I guess Jump just is doing some of these special like uh, standalone one shot chapters for some of its recently concluding stuff. So there's no real explicit reason for this, but basically this is a backstory chapter for Ray, basically revealing some more insights in when he discovered the truth of Greyfield Farm, like his thought process back then, like how he figured out like how kids were being selected to be shipped out, and then like him being tormented by like and having this knowledge of what's going on and not being able to do anything, eventually deciding to confront mom and then forging a deal with her and then ultimately being hardened into making decisions he does at the beginning of Promise Neverland in terms of exposing Ray and Emma to the truth in order to uh, convince them to break out and save their lives. So I think the most interesting part about this is just the details of Ray's vulnerability uh, as a kid when he first discovered this. Because in the series proper, like, he's presented more along the lines of when the big reveal of, like, that he's known this all along comes. And that he's been working as a double agent for mom comes. It's like this idea of, oh, he, he's been a master skinner. He's been, like, manipulating uh, both sides since the beginning. But here it's like, shows that, no, he came from a place of being really scared and really frightened for, like, his fate and the fate of his family as a kid before he kind of made a decision to do something about it. And even he had, was holding out hope that mom would be on their side and would help them out. But then he realized that she wasn't going to be on his side. And so then that's why he does what he does in terms of making the deal with her and then continuing to monitor things and forge the, his breakout plan. While again, I think the most powerful page is like just the sequence of him, like watching member of his family after member of his family, like being taken away to be shipped off, knowing what's going to happen to them. And initially, like, he's he's tearing up. He's so despondent about this. But then, over time, seeing it happen again and again and again, he becomes hardened with determination. And then, ultimately, is like, 
resolved in his conviction to begin his like scheme at long last in the events at the beginning of the series yeah that that was that was an amazing uh amazing page i really liked that um i did we know um in in the original series did we know that ray was essentially the one to to take away connie's uh stuffed bunny yeah okay I, I i couldn't remember if we already knew that or not because i was about to say like oh that's a neat that's an interesting little reveal when he is first outed as like the double agent of mom like norman confronts him about this and like yeah he he outright admits that he was the one who planted bunny for like emma to find okay and then her and norman to go out and discover the truth okay i, I was i was about to be I was about to be surprised, like, oh, it was it was this all along. No, okay, that that just shows you I I need to eventually reread Promise Neverland. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I think you know it's it's not really anything like game changing or anything, but it is kind of nice to kind of get Ray's point of view because you know the, this this chapter basically reminds us that like you know no no matter how smart Ray is and like how capable he is as a 10, 11 year old or whatever, like. He's still a child, and he's arguably had to suffer the longest because obviously he's 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 known about you know uh, what goes on in the world way longer than any of the other kids, you know. So it's 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 kind of sad to have to see sort of Ray's journey and kind of like doing his best to survive and eventually getting to the point where he enlists the help of Emma and Norman after that incident. So. You know, in general, it was nice to just have more Promised Neverland content. I, I I thought it was an interesting chapter. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those additional post-series kind of revisitations that doesn't really add anything in terms of, like, it doesn't tell us, like, more than what we already knew. But it does, like, reframe something. It does, like give a little bit more like nuance to certain character relationships. I think like the biggest thing again is that scene where he's confronting mom and like just knowing that he was holding out hope that mom was going to be on his side and help them but then realizing she wasn't and also like just looking in mom's face and seeing that she's at first like razzled that Ray is from the secret and then like after like a beat like she is kind of like looking down at the ground and like she is like kind of kind of emotionally distant because she knows like she's not gonna she's not going to defy like the system that is like the farm system she's not gonna help the kids so it's just like this kind of look of shame but also kind of this look of having given up so there's there's some good character nuance stuff that is really nice to kind of see like in these past moments that we hadn't quite seen before yeah yeah um, but I think that's about it for that. I'm more interested in what you thought about the bonus chapter of Demon Slayer, because, uh, full disclosure, uh, I have not read Demon Slayer yet. Uh, I know basically as much as what I saw in the first season of the anime, so. But you read this, right? Did I, so... I did read this, yes. Because I was interested in your thoughts as someone who has not, uh, seen the story past the anime, because this would be, like, kind of your first, like, real exposure and insight into the character of Rengoku. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was nice just kind of learning more about him in general, because I think uh, I I think out of all the uh, out of all the Hashira designs, I think his is probably the one that stands out the most to me. 
Uh, and I don't know if that's just because, like, the choice in colors or whatnot, but, uh, yeah. And, and just in general, like, from, from what I, un, uh, from what I can gather of his, like, personality, he's, you know, he's definitely a go-getter, always pumped up. Uh, he, he would be the main character of his own manga, like, for sure. Yeah, I think you can make a real good comparison to Kamina and Gurren Lagann, for instance. But, uh, I think that, one of the most interesting things about this uh, chapter is that it shows that Rengoku's unwavering confidence and belief in the best of others and self-sacrificial like conviction. Like, I think this is a really good exploration of where that comes from and a revelation that he wasn't always like this. He had doubts about like whether it was right to encourage others, like knowing that they might end up sacrificing themselves and not surviving whether it is right to encourage others to do their best and especially other people who are like aspiring to be like him whether it's right to encourage them to aim for that knowing that they probably can't become like him they can't reach the same heights or level of skill as he can and so also him realizing like why his father had treated him and Senjuro so coldly as and, like, try to discourage them and put them down so that they don't enter the Demon Slayer core. Like, saying that they can't take his place. Like, that that coldness being a way to kind of protect them. Because, like, he didn't want them to die. Because, I mean, he realized that his father is kind of thinking the same way. Like, he doesn't want to encourage them knowing that they might not survive if they go down the same path that he did. Like, he has survived, but they might not, and he doesn't want his sons to die. But I like that in the battle at the end of this chapter, like, he sees, like, the corpses of the fallen Demon Slayer uh, uh, Slayer, uh, soldiers, but because of their sacrifice, that's, and the message that they impart in, like, their hand signals that helps him figure out the enemy's technique, like, their sacrifice isn't for vain, like, we see that they did their best, they fought their hardest to protect people, and even in that, they gave from Goku a message to help him win. So it's a good, I think, moment to show of like how he developed like the philosophy and the convictions that we see in his character uh, in the main series and like his desire to be someone that other people can look up to that can encourage others to do their best and to not give up. And I, I really appreciate that. I think this is very welcome uh, character development stuff for Rengoku. Actually, V-Lord, I'm interested in your thoughts on the one shot of Demon Slayer. Like, what do you think about how it reframed Rengoku's uh, character and personality? Hmm. So I don't think it necessarily reframe Rengoku more than... Or it... develop, reveal some layers and sights into his character. Yeah, so I, that's what I kind of liked about it. So, given what we saw about Rengoku, he was more in a mentor figure in the series itself. But when we saw interactions with like his family, specifically his father in the series, we saw there was much more to like his relationship. And this kind of really delved into that and kind of seeing, like, okay, why was Rengoku's father acting this way towards like his sons and how did Rengoku really feel about that and how did that affect him as a demon slayer mm-hmm. as he was going through the ranks and I, I really kind of love that one moment in the chapter where like he's talking to that one oh, comrade of his after the final selection and he's having this foreboding feeling like wait 
my, my comrade could die. Mm-hmm. And like later he's remembering like his father's words where it's like the people that who are most likely to die are the ones that you have like a laugh with. Yeah. And it's kind of, it really kind of cements the kind of harshness of their roles as demon slayers, despite Rengoku generally being a very optimistic person. Like, mm-hmm. he's always the one guy with a smile on his face. He's always cheerful in the midst of battle. But in this chapter, especially, like, we see him go, like, full on rage yeah. at one point. And I think out of everything, that was, like, the most, like, impactful thing. Like, just seeing that genuine rage in Rengoku, which is something I don't even think, like, we really saw him angry in the main series itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, I really liked seeing, like, a character that we know in the main series is, like, this very confident, self-assured mentor figure, like, seeing his vulnerability in his earlier formative years before he became that person. Like, I really think this chapter did some really great character development work like retroactively in that respect yeah i totally agree and i'm really looking forward to see how uh ryuji hirano handles rengoku in their set of uh side stories yeah i'm hoping that those do get uh picked up and published by viz i mean maybe by the time this podcast is out we'll know since they're supposed to begin uh pretty much on sunday at the time of this recording so yeah i would Definitely like to see more stories with Rengoku, especially in the early period of his career as a Demon Slayer. Yeah, and if, like, if there's anything like the Giyu side story, I'm sure it'll be really good. Yeah, yeah. But overall, like, a really good uh, chapter. I think, like, more than the Promised Neverland chapter, this was, like, a really great addition to uh, Demon Slayer's canon. Because I do think this tells us something more about uh, Rengoku as a character than we were even privy to in the main series. Okay, see, that that's good, because th- that's why I asked you about it first, because I, again, I'm I'm literally sitting here vibrating in my seat, waiting until the uh, the Mugen Train movie comes out, or whatever. Um, so, again, I'm really only aware of, uh, of, of the character, uh, as far as I've seen in the anime. So I, I was, so I, I had no context whether, like, this actually added anything to his character or not. Um, but again, uh, from, from what you're telling, from what you and V-Lord are telling me, it sounds like it did. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that. And in general, as like a kind of first look into the character for me, myself, uh, I, I thought it was interesting. And, uh, I will say, unfortunately, I, I know stuff about the movie already because, uh, manga readers on Twitter can't shut up for whatever reason. Um, yeah. And that's unfortunate. But I'm still looking forward to seeing that arc animated in the movie. Um, I don't know when I'll be able to see it, because it's it's supposed to be coming out in theaters early next year, I guess, according to Funimation and Aniplex. But it's like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to risk getting a deadly virus to see a movie. I mean, the other problem is, will theaters even be open? Like, Regal and Cinemark are closed. AMC is like the only big theater chain smaller theaters might still be around like we're gonna have to see because like even though theaters did reopen they are losing a lot of business so will they stay open by the time this potentially would come out we'll just have to see we'll just have to see yeah yeah but uh all right so we're done with all of our shonen jump stuff and uh again as as we say with every episode we talk about shonen jump you know you you, you can read all this uh, on the Shonen Jump app 
you know, if you pay $2. Uh, the first three chapters of basically all the new series we talked about from Shonen Jump should be free, uh, as well as uh, whatever the latest three chapters of any given series are uh, also available for free. Um, so there's that. So if you want to just kind of give a taste, you you want to check out some of the series we talked about this episode, uh, we'll leave links in the show notes for anybody who wants to. They're also available on Manga Plus 2 for international readers as well. That's also important. Um, but let's talk about one more thing that I was really looking forward to, and that is Sawanabe Zombie, uh, from Kakio Surikawa. Uh, and, uh, I was really looking forward to this, because this is, uh, this is the first one-shot that, uh, Starfruit Books is, uh, is putting out available legally, uh, for people to purchase. It's $4, I think, that's how much I paid for it anyway, uh, it's about, like, 35 pages, um, which I, I think, I think is good. You know, if, if you're interested in this, just to get this out of the way, I think it's totally worth it. It's totally worth checking out. Plus, if you, if you buy it from the Starfruit Books website, uh, you'll get it in a bunch of different kinds of files that you could read on like different comic book readers and, or whatever apps you use or whatever. And, and they're DRM free. So like you can keep them too, like actually download them to your desktop. Uh, as I'm, I'm assuming that's, that's how it is with all of, uh, with everything that Starfruit Books is uh, releasing at the moment. So that's cool. Um, but tell me, Lum, what is Sawanabe Zombie about? It's self-explanatory. I mean, this guy, Sawanabe, he gets bitten and becomes a zombie. The twist is that he retains his consciousness, even though he has zombie urges, like to go and eat human flesh and whatever. And it's very funny because the guy who turned him into a zombie, the Kagawa delivery man, like they're different, different zombies have different characteristics. It's very much Walking Dead inspired. So this guy, the delivery man zombie, he like can run really fast, even though uh, Sawanabe, he he like kind of is like no- walking at like a normal zombie like kind of pace, so he's kind of frustrated at that because he gets the very scraps of like the carcass of like this crazy priest guy that a bunch of zombies swarm and kill, and he eventually he just has to eat the dick of this <laughs> of the corpse of this priest, but and, uh, he ends up like accidentally saving a girl like in his pursuit of trying to find a fresh human corpse, like going to the outskirts of the city to, to find people at a place where there aren't other zombies around. Uh, but he he's outdone again by the Kagawa delivery man. And then he ends up like beating the shit out of him with a shovel, accidentally saving this girl. Uh, but then he encounters the girl again, and she has been bitten. She was betrayed by the two guys she was with. Uh, and then like he basically takes pity on her and ends up like getting revenge for her by like killing the guys and then having the girl after he's become zombified eat uh one of them so ultimately this throughout this story he's also having flashbacks to like uh his relationship with like a woman he really liked um they went to like this uh party together and she was like the first victim of like the zombie outbreak too but eventually, like, the sediment, uh, he comes to realize is, like, she says, oh, I will wait for you. And so now that he's become a zombie, like, he can go out and find her in this world and they can reconnect. And so that's kind of the, the message it ends on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I knew very little about this going in, but uh, I so I, I wasn't expecting this to be as, like, comedic as it was. But generally, I thought this was pretty amusing. 
like I I like the idea of um, and I'm not saying this doesn't exist in like other fiction, but like I, I've never seen zombie fiction where it's like you you get the point of view of the zombie. That's that's new to me. I've I've never seen that before. That's interesting. Yeah, especially one that commits to like the character still acting like a zombie, like with this uncontrollable urge to eat flesh and inability to articulate themselves. Mm -hmm. In general, I thought it was pretty funny how the delivery man kept going after his prey. Yeah. He just bulldozes over him. <laughs> when even when he goes to the outskirts of the city, the delivery man shows up out of nowhere <laughs> to chase down <laughs> the prey. Oh man, it's really good. Yeah, in in general, I. Uh, I thought I thought it was good, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I I tried to look up like other stuff that Sudakawa had done, and the only other thing that like I could find was uh, I guess they did a short series that had a simul uh, I guess had a simul pub release on stuff like Comicsology and Manga Club called Different Nation, which I guess is like uh, uh it's classified under like science fiction, crime, and dystopia. And uh, I don't know, I uh, just just based on this one one shot alone, I would definitely be up for reading other stuff from Sudakawa. I would I would like to see like what other stories they're capable of writing and drawing. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I really have like a lot to say about this one shot other than uh, I just I just I, I enjoyed it. Uh, and I, I yeah, I hope that Starfruit books pick up like other one shots like this. Yeah, I really enjoy this as well, and I am excited for more stuff from Starford Books. They have picked up uh, another series from Surukawa called uh, Ikuyodo, and that's going to come out in early 2021. So I'm definitely really looking uh, forward to more works from this author in particular. I think they do some really good horror comedy. So yeah, I mean, if if like it's look, it's October. We're all in the mood for some scary spooky things if if you're if you're looking for if you're looking for some light zombie fiction that's sort of comedic um you know i i'd say it's worth the four dollars to uh to pick this up and read it again un unlike with a lot of digital manga you you can you can actually like download this to your computer or whatever and like you'll you'll own it which is um something that i think a lot of people you know are generally looking for with a lot of digital manga um, which, uh, I mean, you know, uh, digital manga, unfortunately, you know, that, that kind of thing just isn't available from every, uh, from every publisher. But, um, I appreciate that from Starford Books. I, I, I hope that feature will kind of lead more people to their stuff. But yeah, uh, we'll, we'll leave links in the show notes for basically this and basically everything else we talked about on the episode today. And, uh, yeah, I, uh. I had a lot of fun talking about all this really cool stuff. I mean, between this and like, you know, uh, some of the stuff we had to talk about from our jumpstart discussions, like, uh, I, I thought we also, I, I, I enjoyed talking about some really spooky stuff cause it's October. We should talk, we should be talking about some more spooky stuff. Yeah. I mean, sadly, this is kind of some of the stuff here is like one of the scant spooky stuff we are talking about mm -hmm. uh besides spirit photographer and our special Halloween episode that's going to come up. We'll do we'll do a Halloween month one of these one of these years even if it kills me. Yeah, one of these days, one of these years, uh, the timing will work out. Even if I have to become a zombie myself, I don't. <laughs> and and, and, that, and that way, I can. I'll never get tired of editing the podcast. I can just work. Oh, I, gosh. Can, I can just work all my life. 
That sounds terrible, actually. Um, but if the rigor mortis sets in, how are you really going to use a keyboard with your hand all, like, stiffened up? You'll, like, just hmm. be bashing the keyboard. Yeah. You don't know what you'll do. Uh, you might end up deleting an entire podcast uh, in your attempt to well, stop and start audio. Well, see, I ar- I've already done that alive, so, you know. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, we'll have to come up with another solution. But now that we are done with our simulpod reviews, we can wrap up the show. But first, of course, we've got some community shoutouts to share. First, I want to shout out But Why Do, the website podcast network, because they are doing, in addition to all their great content, all the variety of awesome podcasts to do, like the titular by Wido podcast and Did You Have To, the show where... Uh, Kate Sanchez and Lanisha, they review live action anime movies. That's a really fun show. One of my favorites of theirs. And they do tons of great uh, manga and media reviews in general. But this month, for the entire month of October, they are doing a fundraising campaign with St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is a research hospital that like leads the way the world like kind of understands, treats, defeats childhood cancer, life-threatening illnesses. And so, you know, this donation can really like help out their funding in their, you know, research and treatment uh, capabilities and, you know, help with them save more lives potentially, which is a really great cause. And so they're hoping to raise $5,000 to the course of the month. They've raised almost $2,000 at the time of recording this. And what's cool about uh, their fundraising campaign is that they have, like, different little reward tier goals. So, like, one of the very first ones was, like, at $15, Lanisha was going to eat five pieces of candy corn. She really hates candy corn. (laughs) So, and, uh, you know, other rewards included, like, people singing Spider-Man theme songs and doing TikTok dances. And the $2,000 uh goal is like Kate and Nisha doing a cosplayed version of the Chica dance from Kaguya-sama. So they're doing tons of little fun goals like everyone in the Bawaido staff. And yeah, I mean, it's really for a great cause. So definitely if you can throw some support their way, that would be really, really great. And just a shout out, like a particular piece they've published recently on Bawaido, I really enjoyed... Uh, their interview with Alexi Kirsch, uh, who is the deputy editor-in-chief of Shonen Jump, and specifically, like, the editor of Chainsaw Man. And so uh, they interviewed Alexi, you know, about not only what it's like to work as an editor, but also specific things about Chainsaw Man, what makes it very appealing, what are some interesting challenges uh, in terms of translating it, like when the series uses, like, different languages, like Russian, that they have to figure out how to translate and a lot of other cool elements that really, I think, highlight what makes Chainsaw Man uh, a really unique series. So it was a really great interview, and Bawaido really publishes a lot of great interviews and reviews and podcasts and all sorts of awesome stuff. So definitely check them out and uh, support their fundraising campaign. 
On the same subject of Shonen Jump, though, I want to shout out the Jajankin database. This is a database that has compiled basically all the table of contents from Shonen Jumps from, like, the early 70s to present. And so it's a really great database to kind of look at how series have performed over time in terms of their placement in the magazine and basic general trends of, like, how a series was treated inside the magazine in terms of how much spotlight it got, how often it got color pages or the cover. It's a really interesting database that has a lot of potential to like really go back and see like how series performed at a certain time and then started to drop or really look at like the popularity of certain series so yeah yeah i think it's a really cool database uh definitely took a lot of work to get all that data and like create like a really great interface in order to really purse through all this and like go through not just like individual issues but specific series and other metrics so i really appreciate that someone created this because it's really cool i cannot imagine how much work that must have taken oh yeah but to keep on the Shonen Jump train, this is something that I meant to spell that a while ago, but I don't think I have yet. George Horvath at CRX did a True Secret of History of Shonen panel. And it was a really cool panel where he basically tracked like some of the most iconic, uh, influential Shonen manga from the early 50s all the way through the late 80s, highlighting about, I think... Over a dozen or so different titles from not just Shonen Jump, but from all sorts of different Shonen magazines. So this was a great kind of historical retrospective on the development of Shonen, which series specifically inspired certain trends and kind of shaped the genre as we know it. And also, George did a really cool research thing in looking at Shonen Jump covers that had mangaka on them. Like, this was a trend that Shonen Jump used to do. They used to have, like, these covers where they would spotlight the mangaka working in the magazine. And this is a thing that has kind of fallen out of fashion with Jump. They don't really have living people on their covers anymore. But George, like, went back through the archives of Jump and, like, looks through all of them and spotlighted a lot of really interesting specific covers featuring mangaka like all the way through basically the late 90s when they fell out of fashion and he also looked at how many times different mangaka were spotlighted on the covers of jump and basically his findings were of course the most spotlighted mangaka was ozamu akimoto he had the most appearances appearing on 19 covers over a two-decade period and toriyama was the second most frequent he appeared on 16 covers over you know a 15 year period for both slump and uh, dragon ball and yeah, so there, it was a lot of cool, like, research he did there in terms of, like, not only the history of, like, just these covers in general, how many there were, but also, like, how frequently different mangaka appeared on them. So definitely give those a read. Next, uh, I guess to keep on the subject of jump, but kind of branch out into a specific series or narrow into a specific series, rather. So Jujutsu Kaisen, of course, had its anime debut recently. And I want to highlight Taser Lad's very interesting uh, anime to manga comparison for the first episode. He really looked at the first 
episode of Jujutsu Kaisen compared with the first manga chapter spotlighted some of the interesting things the anime did differently, even though it's a generally faithful adaption. There were some interesting flourishes, mainly when Denji entered the school to save his friends from the curse spirit. Like he, in the manga, of course, he just like kind of kicks in and immediately grabs his friend. But the anime like adds a little flourish where he like holds the top of the window rail and then spins a bit and like punches the curse spirit uh, to force it to let go of his friends before grabbing them. So it's really nice look at like kind of the details of the animation there in that video. Uh, and then, yeah, moving on from that, uh, I have like some podcast things to spotlight. One is, well, not so much a podcast. They usually do it as a podcast. This year, it might just be like a YouTube stream video. But, you know, annually around like the big convention, San Diego Comic Con, New York Comic Con, uh, there is like a four women slash five women in his in a room talking podcast between a bunch of people in the comics industry, uh, normally organized by uh, Heidi McDonald from Comics Beat. And this year they did one kind of in time for New York Comic Con. Obviously, you know, it's all like virtual. So it's like five women in a Zoom room uh, edition. And this, they were specifically talking about manga on this uh, work podcast uh stream and so on the show is bridget alverson deb oki joanna baker carlson and erica friedman from the show and they basically gave a bunch of uh recommendations and spotlights of like cool manga that are out now uh, highlighting series like natural idols sonic comic girl uh dress up darling kaiju number eight got a shout out so a lot of cool titles that they recommend and they kind of talk about trends in the manga industry like what titles are doing well why there are more prominent like really long titles not like series that are long but like titles that are long you know why light novel titles are so long and why manga <laughs> titles are so long now so a lot of just fun discussion about uh not just specific series that you should check out but like the industry as a whole and how the state of things are and uh, how manga is doing in general so really great insights from like longtime industry professionals and critics and then the last podcast I want to shout out is The Loudest Podcast, hosted by uh, comedians Asterios and Sarantia. And I like The Loudest Podcast. I'm a really big fan of uh, their streams and podcasts and all sorts of stuff. And while they're kind of more of a broad-focused show, they don't talk about anime specifically, but they do talk about anime very frequently because Sarancha especially is a pretty big anime fan, so it gets brought up pretty often. And the most recent episodes of a lot of podcasts have been very anime-focused. So they, in the first one of these I want to uh, I'm going to link is like they talked about like various different anime that are all kind of a girlfriend fantasy type shows you know like rent a girlfriend and Uzaki Chan wants to hang out so they basically watched them and compared them and gave their thoughts on like 
I mean, they thought they all the, all the ones they watched, they thought they sucked, <laughs> but they basically uh, explained like what is like going on with them and like comparing like how they handle similar tropes and stuff to each other and then giving their thoughts on like which one they would begrudgingly say they prefer. And then in the next one of these episodes I'm going to talk about, they review two quote unquote fetish anime. One of them I would definitely agree. Well, honestly, even though I like the other one, I would have probably agree. So they reviewed Aramanga Sensei and Beastars in the same episode. And uh, basically, obviously, Asterios is kind of like, you know, super horrified at Aramanga Sensei. So they had a very fun conversation about that. <laughs> and then they talked about Beastars, where they're like, they have to begrudgingly come to admit that even though it is a furry show, they really liked it and were really into it. And so they were very fun reviews. Like, it is very fun to hear Asterios uh, bounce off Saranja, because Saranja really likes to push Asterios' bush, and Saranja is, like, a little more, like, raunchy than Asterios. So, like, she really can get him going in a fun way and also Asterios as someone who's not really into anime as much it's fun to hear his perspective and him riff on like anime from like that kind of outsider perspective so really funny funny episodes of loudest podcasts that are anime related and of course they don't just talk about anime on these episodes like on that episode where they reviewed like Friend to Girlfriend and uh, Uzaki-san they also had a interview with a sex scientist who is researching foot fetishes so that was also a funny conversation so yeah i mean these the a lot of the podcast is one of the funniest podcasts i listen to in general so these are two anime related ones for you guys to check out and uh, potentially get into but that does it for my community shout outs for this episode and now i think we can wrap up the show all right yeah uh this was definitely uh a, a larger episode than i intended it to be but uh uh, still pretty good. We talked about a lot of really fun stuff. And uh, in terms of what's coming up next, uh, we don't know just yet, but uh, we're, we're, we're in the midst of planning some stuff and, uh, you know, possibly some cool stuff for, uh, uh, for, for next month uh, in particular. We'll see. And uh, we, we, we kind of talked about a bunch of plans all throughout the podcast, but uh, we, we got some stuff coming up and that's all that matters. Um, so look forward to uh, everything we have coming out in the future. Um, but until then, yeah, let's plug our stuff. Lum, where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lum Ramayasha on Twitter. It's Lum Ramayasha on a variety of places like Annie List and Animation Revelation. Wherever it is a Lum Ramayasha, that's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews on allthatchcomer.com. We've got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out. So look forward to more on there. And allthatchcomer.com is also where you can find all the related shows to Manga Mavericks that I host. Like Manga Mavericks at Movies and Lum Squad, the USA Outsider Focus Podcast that I do with my good friend and USA Outsider Aficionado, Father Lum himself, AC. So definitely check those out on there as well all right definitely go follow all of lum's stuff uh but as for me i'm colton you can follow me on twitter at sniper king 323 i also host a few other podcasts on the side here uh which you can find links to over at coltoncorner.wordpress.com uh, i have a page dedicated to whatever podcasts i'm uh, doing at the moment most of them you can find over at the ask backwards anime podcasting network at ssaa.com or uh, ssanetwork.com, I should say. Um, but yeah, uh, basically, as for uh, all comic and uh, and the podcast, 
You can find every episode of the podcast at all-comic.com. That's where we post every episode first. Unless you are a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where if you sign up for the $2 tier, uh, you get access to select episodes of the podcast, uh, basically depending on when we have them edited, uh, if we happen to have them edited, you know, before they're kind of scheduled to go up on our main feed, uh, we'll post them there first uh, before anyone else. Uh, we definitely have a lot of episodes that uh, we we still haven't posted on our main feed yet. Uh, hopefully those will come out soon. Um, but until then, again, you can you can listen to at least like I want to say four or five episodes of the podcast at this point uh, on our Patreon alone. Um, or if you want completely new content, you want to sign up for a $5 tier, uh, basically where we, uh, upload a new podcast for patrons only, uh, one new podcast at the end of every month. Uh, right now we are uploading episodes, uh, monthly of our side podcast, the Manga Mavericks Book Club, uh, where we basically talk about, uh, certain manga that we may have talked about on the show uh, on the main show already, but uh, we kind of go through certain series, you know, volume by volume, uh, giving us a chance to talk more about them and why we love them. Uh, right now, we are covering Masami Kurumada's Saint Seiya, the original Saint Seiya manga that we did do an episode on before, uh, but uh, it is my first time going through the series, as is my friend Doctor, again from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast. Uh, you can find episodes of that uh, miniseries in particular, again, every month on the Patreon at uh, for the $5 tier. Uh, give it a listen. Uh, it's really good. I'm having a lot of fun recording it. Um, but in general, you know, again, uh, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, it's really the best way for you guys to support us if you wish to do so. Uh, we really appreciate any support we get from you guys. Uh, and then, uh, I guess as for everything else, you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow us on, uh, if you want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga Mavericks. Uh, where sometimes we uh, post different excerpts of the podcast and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Uh, again, youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Go there. Um, email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, what did you think about all the cyber pubs we covered on this episode? Uh, do you have any thoughts on uh, any of the licenses or other news topics we covered on the show? You know, what are some manga that you're reading? What are some manga that you want us to cover on the podcast? Email us anything about manga or the podcast or well, just about whatever. We'll read it on the show uh, again at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or basically wherever you're listening to this. We're on a bunch of different uh, podcasting platforms, uh, you know, wherever podcasts are sold. Uh, especially on Apple Podcasts, though, uh, leave us a rating and review. It really helps the visibility of our show. Uh, it helps us become more visible on the uh Apple Podcast algorithm, uh, as as it is. So, uh, yeah, uh, we just in general we appreciate any feedback on the show. So, uh, you know, just just leave us something if you have the time. Um, but that's gonna be about it for the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, this has been episode one thirty six of the Manga Mavericks podcast on all comiccom We will see you guys next time for episode one thirty seven. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.